Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk Footnotes. I am one of your hosts, Damien Abraham, and your other host, it's the soon-to-be-vacationing, but <laughs> right now, staycationing with all of us here, Chris O'Toole. <laughs> I'm getting these intros, you're getting even better at them every week. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going, Chris, you know, I'm going to keep uh, coming up with new and exciting ways to... Uh, usher in the show. I feel like that helps us get a new energy every time. No, it's good. Okay, good. You know, if you're like, these are fucking annoying, I, I might be, not at all. it might be a weird situation where I keep doing them and you're like really annoyed by it. <laughs> no, not at all. I'm just always amazed because when, uh, when we're talking prior to get going on air, then it's, <laughs> then the big intro comes and I'm not expecting it. It's kind of clever. <laughs> well, uh, you know, that's, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of clever once an episode and that's very much at the beginning. So now it's just all downhill as far as, the clever, <laughs> as far as the clever stuff goes. Uh, but we got a good show to get to today because my gosh, Allison Baker. Whew, what an episode. Yeah, it was great. Really enjoyed this interview. Yeah. She is someone who, uh, you know, as, as I kind of keep saying, like the, the Drake of Toronto team crud combo was for <laughs> punk, you know, and we'll get into that all later on. And you can be just as disgusted when I say it again later on, everyone, um, as you are now hearing it for the first time, maybe. No, I said in the intro, too, for the episode itself. But anyway, Chris, how are you doing? Good, good. Awesome. Very busy week. This is uh, for listeners that aren't aware. We're uh, doing double duty. So mm-hmm. you and I have had uh, double the, the talks this week, which is a, whatever, a, a, a not normal adjustment, but it's good. Yeah, it's great. No, this we're this is uh you know we didn't you know we didn't give the mailbag much of an opportunity to fill itself again, but by True. God did it. Yeah, there's still I mean our, we have a very uh attentive listenership, so we're able to uh yeah, reap the benefits on this show for sure. Absolutely. So I guess should we uh dive into it first or should we get into well, We this? have that the news item I think maybe we should start off with if you want to do that one. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Um, so this got sent in. I don't even know where this got sent in. I think it got sent into the Facebook page, maybe, and uh, it was forwarded to me by my brother. But apologies to whoever sent this in because it doesn't have a name on it. But they said that they're a loyal listener to the show and have heard that we've mentioned City Gardens here several times. And apparently now the promoter of the venue, not apparently, the promoter of the venue, Randy now, uh, has a great little record shop in the area, and unfortunately, he could use some help to keep the shop going. So there is a GoFundMe page that has been set up. So it's uh, www.gofundme.com slash man cave in or man cave New Jersey. Yeah, is, uh, yeah, yeah. And so it's a uh, you know a great way if you're uh, you know a fan of uh, that you know, venue or, you know, certainly a fan of that record store and or live in that area um, and would like to contribute to help save that store, you know, head on over there. And there's lots of, you know, cool incentives as there always are um, to, to why you can tr- contribute. And uh, you always want to have uh, a record store. Yes, around. absolutely. The thing I liked was it right. was in reference to the, the person who wrote in mentioned the reference to city gardens, but apparently it's actually even in that book, that came out recently is a subject within it. So kind of neat. Yeah. The city gardens book that, uh, has come out and that's all, of course, uh, 
started the whole John Stewart hardcore thing in a big way to that book. Yes. When's that interview? When's that interview, buddy? (laughs) I don't know. You know, tell John, you know, John's not keeping it as punk as Craig, apparently. <laughs> now you can, now you can goad them with that. That's a good one. You know, just, now that you yeah, got one saying. late night host, you can maybe get the ones that are remaining. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't know. Uh, something tells me Jimmy Fallon probably not into MDC. <laughs> just in general, I don't. You know, he seems like a nice enough guy, but yeah, definitely not punk. I don't believe. No, so. he he would have been. You know, a tub thumping Chumbawamba fan <laughs> at best, I'd say. <laughs> that is, uh, yes, that's a clever way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, not not into the Noam Chomsky split or you know the crass era before that even. No, definitely, definitely strictly tub thumping. Strictly probably tub-thumping. doesn't know. Probably doesn't know the other tunes. No. If any. No, not a deep cut fan. Well, uh, probably do an amazing impression of somebody in punk. Anyway. Yeah, he probably could, but he'd laugh about it afterwards and it would ruin it. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, this show's gotten strangely uh, not about what we normally talk about just now. Hey. So uh, let's get back into what we do normally talk about. But yeah, please do contribute if you can. And uh, I guess we need to dive on in now to the mailbag. Yes, as always. Um We've gotten in some pretty neat stuff this week relating to, of course, things we've talked about in past episodes. Um, one of the messages, which I have yet to input here, Damien, I apologize, but it's in relation to, uh, I'll just take it and all, so it'll be easy. Um, in relation to a documentary that has been, or is in the process of being made about the Victoria punk scene called Somewhere to Go Punk Victoria. Um, if you go to, there's a Facebook page, which we can link actually on the, the turned out of punk Facebook and, or the Tumblr and what have you. Um, well, there's actually a trailer on here as well. And essentially it's what was discussed a lot on the, um, I'm bad with names, Damien, you, you have to take it. The Victoria black mountain. Oh, Stephen Steve, McBean, Steve, Steve McBean. McBean. There we go. So he, um, that sort of era discussed and, uh, you know, to at a bit more length, but there's even uh, on the Facebook here, it actually has, um, you know, an interview with the director recently talking about, or not director, whatever, the compiler, Jason Lamb, um, about things. And then, of course, the trailer's on there as well. So we'll put, the, put up the trailer for sure. But just thought it was kind of neat based on that, because uh, I don't know, you knew a little bit about the Victoria scene. I didn't know a great deal. I just always mistakenly probably lumped it all into Vancouver for whatever bizarre reason, but... Yeah. yeah, like I, I, I am far from an expert on that scene, but I would say to me, Victoria has one of the most interesting, certainly hardcore scenes to emerge in Canada by far. Like, you know, you look at like their big, big bands, it's like No Means No, Dayglow Abortions, and the Neos. Yeah. And, and that's... Red Tattoo, but like, yeah. Well, and we discussed it before, and it's just, it's an interesting spectrum because they don't all sound identical either, but no. they're all interesting and unique in their own way, too. But yeah, it's, it's got a neat little look on it. I don't know who the, um, there's a live shot they've put up. It's like, uh, obviously the, the, whatever, the cover of what will be the documentary or what is the documentary, but I can't tell who is playing. You might have a better idea if you look it up, uh, Dame, but yeah, very cool. Yeah, no, I, I like, you know, once again, I love, 
all that stuff on uh, and you know getting to see it. So hopefully that comes out and hopefully we get to see some of these punk movies. We're gonna be talking a lot about punk documentaries. I think a little bit later into this mailbag. Yeah, it talks. The one thing I want to mention here too, I forgot. I wanted to read a bit of the synopsis, but it says there are over thirty interviews. It mentions all the bands Damien just mentioned, as well as show business giants, infamous scientists, and many more. Um, Somewhere to go is a gritty and raw documentary film that does not simply focus on past phenomena, the past phenomena of punk in Victoria, BC, but aims to explore the timeless themes of rebellion, art for art's sake, and the integral role of music to to the culture. No, to culture and community. Pardon me. Uh, so yeah, that's the gist. Awesome. Well, yeah, like that, that'll be something that I would love to see because I think that is as, as we've kind of just mentioned, like a, uh, a fascinating scene that is kind of underdocumented. Yes, totally. Um, our, that's, that's props to our Norwegian correspondent by way of our pal, <laughs> Dara. So it's uh, <laughs> punk is an interesting. Community. Yeah, it does go around the world just to come back. Yep, there you Sometimes. go. So thank you, Cal, for sending that in. And I guess now on to this monster of an email from Jeff. Jeff has sent this in. Jeff, of course, sends a lot of emails. So thank you again, Jeff, for sending this in. Uh, oh, man. What was the part that you really wanted to take? At, we the damn to go, part. The, the damn part. It starts with the damn. It's about halfway through. Oh, yeah, there it is. The damned. Totally agree with Chris. Uh, of course, <laughs> That's not why I Chris. wanted to do it either. Totally agree with Chris on the cover of Music for Pleasure. <laughs> A huge contributing factor to why I never listened to that album is that hideous cover. That said, it's a good shuffle, quote-unquote, album. Uh, I never listen to it beginning to end, but if one of those songs comes up when I'm listening to my music on random, then it's a great three minutes. The major departure was definitely the Black Album, which is when Dave Vanian goes full vampire, and they have the first epic punk song, the 17-minute Curtain Call. Yeah, is that the first? That, that might be the first. That's a good... He's uh... first. But, like, yeah, that might be the first epic punk song. I'd have to look at the year, but I Black Flag didn't do any of their craziness before that. Yeah, but, like, are there vocals on those songs? Like, the really yeah. long songs? Good point. I'm just trying to think of... Yeah, it's... it's. I thought that point was interesting to, to extrapolate. Yeah. But also, I like the idea that he sort of takes the later album as the departure, the true departure, as opposed to the one we were discussing from weeks past. But... Um, and the next paragraph as well is what he compares it to the clash like we were. And he says it was departure, but really yeah. it was part of progression. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, like I, it was, it, it, I, like it's pretty late. I don't know what I like. Now I got to get the fucking cramps discography again. I mean, the cramps, the damned. <laughs> yes. We'll get to the cramps this week. Uh, too, we'll get I'm to sure. the cramps this week. Definitely for sure. Oh God! It always comes back to the to the the resource. Yes, okay. always. So, damn them, damn music for pleasure, Machine Gun Etiquette, the Black Album. So yeah, it is exactly in keeping with the departure record for uh, the Clash, right? Like that would be the fourth record. Is the true departure record for the Clash? Yeah, I would think. I do think London Calling is a departure record, but I Me think too. that they go right off the rails is definitely on Sandinista. Yeah, it goes to uh, a different place. 
Yeah, so he even says in the email here, which I agree with, which while the Clash arguably were dicking around on Sandinista, the dam seemed to be moving in that direction. If you listen to the post-Black album material, there seems to be a natural flow to the songwriting. And I totally agree. I think that's where, when we were discussing those two bands in comparison and that album run in comparison, what I would say is the Damned has a lot more consistency to their whatever, longevity and what have you. And obviously the Clash basically start dissolving at that point. Like, yeah, Sandinista was kind of like a... To me, it's it's a mess as an album. Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. There's There's some good stuff on it, but it's very clouded by a lot of weird and things just I don't like. But... Uh, and if you look at the next record, Combat Rock, there's like there's a few songs, but overall, and then from there, it's just done. So, yeah, I think uh, I just thought it was neat how he, he uh, how Jeff like keyed in on these points, and I wouldn't have thought about the idea of the punk epic that they that the Dam did. That was a good point, and I don't. I mean, if anyone can think of them, right in. I, I I'm struggling to think. Yeah, I'm of trying to think what, too. What would have been a bigger I don't know, man. Like even maybe flipper stuff. If there's something that creeps in before there, or I'm trying yeah. to think of like stuff like that. But it is a good point, and I mean it's it's a bit of an apples and orange comparison with the Dan to Flipper, but still, I'm trying to think of anything that would sort of contend. Marky Moon's like almost ten minutes. <clears throat> yeah, that's a yeah. I never. That's a good. That's a good comparison. But that's like you know. Hardly seventeen minutes, and they were they were a much more of a, you know, it's it's much more free palette to play with, in um, you know seventy six than it was, <laughs> yes. By the time the Black Album was out, and they didn't make you know the the neat 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 and things like that prior, so they yeah. they were sort of yeah exactly already at a point where doing that maybe wasn't as much of like a, I don't know an audacious move is like the dam doing it is or was um and then there's also uh the next point is punk history to add your library of punk history books i'm not sure if you have mentioned our band could be your life i think we definitely have talked about that right we have at least in passing but uh, yeah i Um, meant to bring it up more because i I, yeah anyway yes we sort of have yeah like i think uh you know and then uh, jeff goes on to kind of talk about you know, having uh, you know, mixed feelings about the book because of the author's opinions about uh, some of the bands and stuff like that. I don't know. I love, I love that book, and like, I I love hearing people's opinions about bands, even when I disagree with them, because I find it uh, it, you know, it it only contributes to uh, to the myth about them and just contributes to the conversation. You know? I agree. I agree. I'm very similar to that, but I think you and I. I get what he's getting at there, but I think you and I are very unique in the sense that we really like contrary opinions. Yeah. In general, like not only our own, yeah. <laughs> but like ones from others. Um, so I, I'm with you on that. I don't, um, yeah, I don't really recall the specifics of what he's discussing about from that book offhand, but in other books, yeah, even, even stuff I don't agree with, I'm always interested to hear the takes. So. I got to reread that book again. Cause I, I, you know, that was definitely like something I've read tons of times. I met Michael Lazard, who wrote it, like in Iceland. Oh, really? Yeah. And, uh, how it, did that come about? Like, at a, just when you guys were playing over there? Yeah. Like, Michael Lazard was there doing a, I think like a speaking thing, maybe. I don't remember exactly what, what he was there for at, um, Iceland Airwaves Festival. 
and huh. met him one night and talked to him. But like, yeah, like I'm, I just wanted to call it up and see what bands are covered in that book. And it's like Black Flag, The Minutemen, Mission of Burma, Minor Threat, Husker Du, The Replacements, Sonic Youth, Buttle Surfers, Big Black, Dinosaur Jr., Fugazi, Mudhoney, Beat Happening. I don't know. That's like a pretty complete list. Of- well, and yeah, it, it's a good array, especially for the period that it's covering. It's 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 a wide enough spectrum where it's not just too singular either. So I don't know. I, I'm I think because the email references the butthole surfers, maybe that's what he's speaking about. But I don't remember anything offhand. But either way, um, if anyone can recall, feel free to write us. <laughs> you know what else would be a cool thing? What band's missing? Oh yeah, you know, like you look at this. Probably maybe the Bad Brains. Yeah, I think that's a good choice. Um, For what influence. else? Maybe the Beastie Boys. Yeah, if you're throwing, I mean, it's a weird one because there's all the like to me, Butthole Surfers kind of is like a weird one to throw in there. So yeah, I don't know. I think all these bands to me kind of fit that criteria of coming out of punk or being punk bands in some cases. Uh, I would say Black Flag's maybe the one who does it. But you know what? Black Flag went on. I was going to say that had a longevity. Like all these bands toured for an incredibly long time. Well, Minor Threat didn't really. Minor, not Minor Threat. You're right. Maybe Minor Threat. But you get, the, you get the Fugazi connection with that. So Yeah, you kind of have to talk about Minor Threat to talk about Fugazi. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, you're right with though. Like Mud Honey, Beat Happening, Dino Jr., Big Black, maybe. I don't know. Did they? I don't remember them having a super long tour life, but I, maybe I'm off on that. No, but they were, I guess, that influential when you think about it. It appears that some of these are city centric specifically. So he's naming ones. I never thought about it this way, but that it's, yeah, representative of certain regional areas, and then that's why they get the big push, maybe. I, I don't know. It's a good question. I don't know which big ones. I can't think offhand. I'm trying to think of like other bands like uh would you put in like Pussy Galore? Well, that's yeah, you could start going there. I mean, if I were being uh, I love Poison Idea, so I want them in this Yeah, kind of so thing. would I. But, so, but they, it's I I think maybe some of the subjects that they're covering from other bands might be why they're not in it. Um The Wipers. Like Yeah. Ooh, that's a good one too. Like I would say the Wipers are the band to me definitely now that I think about it, that's missing for like a band that kind of pre foretells the American sound that kind of would become so popular in the wake of Nirvana. I agree. I think that's good. I think that's a good choice. That is that is one. Yeah. I don't know. It's I'm sure there's I don't know. I'm not. My brain is not functioning in a clever way to <laughs> to break this down as as well as I'd like to at the moment. But mm-hmm. yeah. But I think it's. I think it does cover a lot of the major bases, like the the Husker Du mentioned and Sonic Youth. That's a wide. You, you get a lot in that net, so to speak, when you cast it. And then, of course, you have the punk. You know, you have the Black Flag. You have the Minor Threat. I don't know. Either way, neat book. There's a lot of other books he discusses in this message, though. Did you want to go over some of those? Oh, yeah, let's definitely go over some of the more books. So, or actually, first he does the documentaries, pardon me. So, oh, yeah. we've had a few people write in, and I cannot remember for the life of me if we went over or made some mention of this last week. I don't believe you did either, but maybe we did because we had a few people write in. Um, but uh, the first one he notes here is the Punk Attitude documentary. Um, 
which he lists here as pre-protopunk 81, 281, pardon me. I don't, like, again, I've seen this. It was a while ago. I don't really recall a lot of the specifics, but you said you thought Don Letts directed it. I remember him being in it for sure. Yeah, but, no, Don Letts definitely directed it. Um, I saw it, like, a long time ago. I don't, like, it, it's a great movie, and it's got some great people in it as well. It's one of those things where... I don't really buy into the history of punk that it presents. Gotcha. You know, like the, the, especially the pre-punk stuff. Like I think like, uh, <clears throat> you know, that kind of like it does that whole MC five velvet underground stooges, you know, like leading into the stuff, which is definitely true. But I think like there was a lot more of a gradual thing and there were already bands kind of going, by the time the Ramones and the Clash and the Sex Pistols really kind of popped off, there had already been kind of a punk scene. Yeah, I think from what I recall now that you say that, yeah, I do remember, I believe even the Dictators are mentioned in it, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but even that stuff, like, I mean, like, I guess I'm like thinking specifically of the Cleveland stuff that was happening with the electric uh, eels and Rock from the Tombs yeah. and, and the Mirrors and, you know, like uh, Simply Saucer happening in Hamilton and then, you know, and crime is in San Francisco kind of going by this point. And in LA, you've got Zolar X and all the other bands that are kind of going and there. Yeah. And stuff. Streamers and yeah, yeah, it's, I get what you mean now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's more of what you would expect of the scratch the surface, um, narrative that you sort of read. Like they, they skip over a lot of any of the other, things like what we're discussing here, what you brought up. Yeah. Yeah. I never thought about it in those terms again, cause I haven't watched it in so long, but yeah, that is a good way of putting it. Yeah. But like, it's still awesome. Like anytime you get to see, you know, Jim Jarmusch talk about punk or cello by Africa <laughs> documentary, like, I don't know, maybe I'm a masochist, but I, I love that. No, I do too. I remember enjoying it. But be I a didn't, sadist. Uh, no, I'd be a masochist. I, now I'm going to watch it with that, with that uh, in mind though. So maybe I won't enjoy it as much, but I do remember liking it. Um, yeah, like sec- it's got polystyrene in it. It's got some cool shit in it, definitely. Um, but I don't know if I put that as my number one. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know either, actually. But the second one he mentions here is American Hardcore, mm-hmm. which, of course, I was discussing with you. I thought per- probably everyone has seen this, but you seem to think that everyone has not. But, um, I like this, but it's definitely the one that is the most uh, – I don't know when divide is the right word, but I always remember there was opinions on what about it is good or bad. I think the movie is a little more representational than the book from what I recall. Mm-hmm. But the book, I remember having issues or people having issues with the book specifically. Um, I like this documentary. Um, i trying to think of stuff that jumps out in it. But yeah, I like I. It's hard to say because they cover kind of different things. I like Punk Attitude too, but I don't know which one I like more. I think because I like I like certain American hardcore bands like uh, as a preferential thing. I think I liked probably the second one more, but Punk Attitude is a good one. I don't know where are you on that? Yeah, like I think it was cool to be able to hear. Like America's Hardcore was cool because it was people that I'd never seen in documentary American Hardcore. Um, True around that time, you know, um, yeah, like I think the problem people had with the book, you know, or certainly problems that I had with the book was a lot of the editorializing in that was, 
<laughs> like the chapter about Salt Lake City, I'm thinking about specifically. We don't have to get into it now, but yeah, my God, was that not at all, you know, doing justice to that scene. Um, but the movie was cool because, yeah, you got to see a lot of people like you got to see the guys from the middle class talking about, you know, out of vogue. You know, you got to see sure. a lot of neat stuff in that. So it's still worth watching. Like I. You know, as we're going through this, it's like, are, is there any movie that pro, that you could say properly car- carries every carries over everything with punk? I know. I would say probably not. You're gonna have, I don't know. I think there are good little windows. I think the problem is that some of these are fairly broad, and that's where you end up, you know, hanging yourself or some of these hang themselves a bit because they don't. You can't always make, you know, like a five six hour documentary. So how are you going to include everything? But I remember America, America's Hardcore or American Hardcore. You got me saying that now. That's funny. Um, the the stuff I remember jumping out at me big time when the trailer came out and also just watching is the wide-eye footage. Yeah. I had, I had not seen. And I don't know if in those years I don't remember if for whatever reason it wasn't as available on the internet to see that or whatever. But I remember seeing that footage just being floored. So that kind of stuff jumps out at me from that that really was impactful. Um I was trying to remember, did like, was that before or after that Minor Threat DVD came out where you, where you could see the people from Why Die in the crowd? Cause that was like right around the time that everyone, not everyone, people obviously knew, but like that was around the time that people were like, oh, Why Die? This band is like one of the best. Yes, exactly. It definitely, I would, you know, there's no question, like, you know, individuals that I would say are almost solely responsible for that band being resurrected uh, in many regards. But I think uh, that that movie, the people that really tuned in at least to that documentary at least got a glimpse that I didn't have an opportunity to see any of that before that came out. So I was, I remember really liking it. Yeah. Like uh, I think part of the why die, like part of the, the re-awareness of why die was Stuart Schrader's game of the arsehole zine used to have kind of these write-ups on obscure punk records and obscure hardcore records. And he wrote up that one. And I remember reading about it and being like, this is the best thing ever sounding and bought a copy uh, from record peddler, I think on eBay (laughs) and uh, got it. (laughs) And it was the best thing ever. And it is that seven inches deadly, deadly good. And then, yeah, the parts unknown reissue came out and Yeah. yeah, Like, I think that's the great thing about it is now people even realize how good the LP was. Because when that first reissue happened, everyone's like, oh, the LP sucks, the LP sucks. And it's like, no, the LP is awesome. It's great, man. It still eluded me. I still, I've come near to getting it a few times. And now, though, I hope what you're saying is almost not true because I, I was able to sort of almost have it for a decent price, which I don't think is probably the case anymore, but I don't know. No, I think the LP is finally like the seven inch is ridiculous how expensive yeah, that yeah. is now. But the, I think even the LP is kind of in that that uh, that that point now. Um, yes. Humble brag. I fortunately have the seven inch, so I'm good. But as do you, I would imagine. Yeah, you said you got it, right? Yeah. Humble brag. I have the test press, Chris. <laughs> oh, that's right. Of course, not to be outdone. I traded like I traded like a a lot of shit that I'll never see again to get that. But that's how much I love that record. Of course, but just that just shows exactly for the new listeners how this show goes. I think I've got something good, and then Dave, there's stuff you've got over me, Chris. God, I just 
anyway oh. very little if any um oh. but yes great two for two on the wide eye seven inch for this podcast awesome yeah uh, and so the last one punk's not dead mentioned this documentary i've not seen this you have i think you said you had i thought i had but now i'm wondering if i had but it is incredible when you go through this thing of who's in it like it is like literally every person that might have had a passing interest in the genre of punk rock <laughs> yes like we could be in it we don't well, like you know we might not we might be like <laughs> uh the, the music editor of newsweek is in it <laughs> but also is the a and r person for uh reprise records uh but you know it's so is some 41 and so is um michael davies from the mc5 yeah uh, it's it's got quite the uh interview list it's just so weird like oh the guy from you know uh the guy from uh uh uh, eyeball from drunk tanks in it great you know like it's such a weird list of bands you forgot the vice president for licensing for hot topic is also in it so (laughs) that's i did forget that she was in that oh that's amazing they're like it still goes on. It's so long. There's so the many. list is so amazing of who's in this thing. And of course, Ian MacKay's in it. And, yeah. You know, the usuals are also in it as well. Yeah. The the usuals are also in it and every single punk that's ever been is also in it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I um, think I've seen this. I think this is the one with Jack Grisham, but that might be Rage that I'm thinking of. I haven't seen that either. This the only thing I can say is the years it mentions in the email that it covers are between eighty six and two thousand seven. So that's might give an indication, but I have not seen this one myself. Well, I'm just glad there's a documentary so I can finally find out what Kurt Soto, the entertainment marketing manager for Vans. <laughs> 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 Wow. Anyway, everyone's in it. Don't know that one. Uh, I don't have an opinion, but the years are interesting. So that I'm guessing it goes from like well, eighty six, two thousand seven. So it gets into the whole pop punk thing. It seems, uh, and by the info that I found here, it sort of suggests that. But I haven't seen this one, um, so I can't compare it to the others. But years, I, I'm not too fond of <laughs> the stuff it would probably cover between I don't know ninety. Six to 2007 so i'm a little apprehensive to be completely honest but anyway willing to watch yeah it. that's like a that's like a weird period to be like yo punk is not dead in this window <laughs> yeah let's prove it to you with all of the <laughs> things that happened between in 96 and 2007 uh that aren't hardcore either which will be hilarious uh anyway uh also mentions End of the Century by the Ramones. I like that one. You like that one? Uh, yeah, that's a that's another you know classic. I think that's when the world learned of how bad it really was between Johnny and Joey. Yes, agreed. And then, of course, Filth and the Fury, which is amazing. Although I yeah. get that confused with The Piss, right? Because they're both – I really like both, but I can't – It's the same what... movie. Oh, okay. The... I thought there was two different ones, but okay. Oh, no, isn't it called The Piss, The Filth and the Fury? It might be. I thought there was two separates, but maybe I'm confusing that. Anyway. Now i got to look this up, Chris. I've seen at least one. It's great. <laughs> Whatever one it is. No, it's amazing. It's, it is like – Yeah. It is the uh, – the I don't know. 
the uh, yardstick by which all punk documentaries are measured, I find. Maybe it's not the piss, Filth and the Fury, but it's definitely Filth and the Fury. I think it said pissed on the cover. Yeah, I thought, I could have sworn there was two documentaries, and one was called, oh no, you're right. I am completely off base, and uh, it just says pissed on the cover, which yeah. I get to be pistols, and it's cut off as if it's a poster or something. Uh, yeah, all these years, I did not realize how moronic I was. I thought there was two documentaries. So I have seen this. It's very good. Go see it if you haven't seen it. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Rent it. Find it. Whatever. It's excellent. The footage of the uh, – like my favorite part of this is the uh, the footage of the uh, – they're playing like the union benefit for the I want to I thought it was firefighters but maybe it was miners is it the miners it was I thought it was maybe miners now that I say that but oh, yeah no, anyway. maybe you're right it's firefighters I do kind of recall but that it's now. like there's all these children yeah like as they're performing and it's like it's weird but it's amazing yeah anyway it's so good but yeah I agree this is uh, this one I think is like done directorially in a better way than a lot of the other ones like end of the century is very very just like footage of lot like on the road. It's not as uh, whatever as slick and as like put together. Yeah, from, from my memory, but Filth and the Fury is like value for money. Like you're you're going to see a film that's well well done too. Well, it's Julian Temple who you know is an incredible filmmaker. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah, outside of this, so it's one of those ones where the the art on the screen is in the same you know realm as the art being talked about in the film. So yeah. I don't know. I, I like. Yeah, I love that one. But almost as a counterbalance to it, Julian Temple's other punk documentary. What's the other one? I can't remember. The future is unwritten. The oh, Joe's he did Trummer that too. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. So this is obviously Damien's favorite because he loves the Clash so much. But apart from that, no, it has nothing. And honestly, that's the thing. Like I looked <laughs> at this documentary and I'm like, fuck. This is going to help me turn a page on this. Re- ridiculous bullshit i have with the clash i'm gonna be on board with this band a hundred percent and it was like this movie was written to make me not like this band (laughs) i i definitely remember watching it and being very um underwhelmed like because they there's that other doc the actual documentary about the clash which is called i want to say west way to the world maybe is that i think don let's might have done that no he might have, but the, that's an actual like Clash documentary. This goes over, I think, a little bit of Clash from what I remember, but it's mainly about Joe Strummer, so it's not quite, um, you know, the same animal. Like it, to compare it to like something like Filth and the Fury, it's more of like a you know a thing about Joe Strummer specifically. But I think it's Western- not. It's not by Don Letts. It's by uh, by uh, the director. Uh, oh no, directed by Don Letts. Westway there the you world. go, buddy. You got it. Yeah. So that one I liked. Westway of the World is, is very good as far mm-hmm. as like Clash documentaries are concerned. That's why I was a little let down with the Joe Strummer one. There's parts in it I like and you know you learn about uh, some parts of his life that I wasn't aware of. But yeah, I, I'm with you in the sense where it was a little uh, underwhelming for perhaps people like you and I that really want to kind of get to the meat of certain things. And yeah. It's, sort of, it's more of like a – it was more of like an idolization than it is like anything that's going to – I don't know. I'm kind of with you on is what I want to say. And I like the clash. So that'll say something. Well, and also just like, you know, the way everyone was, I don't know, like you the sex missiles dog, everyone's shot in silhouette and everything's told through found footage. And it's like this, you know, it's a, it's amazing. 
It's like this one. It's like Bono speaking <laughs> by a fire. Yeah, a lot of a, bonfire. A lot of bonfire yeah, moments. Under like a bridge in New York or something. It's like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> but it's it's also the metaphor, right? Because he had those festivals at the end of his life where you, that was the idea. Like, and so that it yeah. paid off. Like it, I guess what what I what, I'm with you in the sense of the symbolism. I get that the people talking in it actually knew him, and so it is, I guess, a touching thing and whatever. But for me, like as a viewer, I felt it a little cheesy at the way it was directed, and I'm with you there. So yeah, that's what I didn't like about it. Yeah, I was not a fan, not <laughs> a fan at all. But, but yeah. we're both fans of the next one mentioned. What the fuck? So KK Bray. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just looking at this. I'm looking at Don Letts's uh, IMDb now. Oh, Corey. Because <laughs> <laughs> I had to. Uh, and then I was like, just clicked on. Oh, Punk Rock the Movie is his first one, by the way, that he did. The first punk documentary in 1978, which is amazing. And if you can see it, see it. Because it's got like a lot of cool stuff in it. And it's got a lot of bands that you don't always see. Um, there's a lot of first wave British punk docs that are, are amazing for seeing like rare footage of bands, like, you know, like bands on raw records and stuff like that. So, cool. uh, but yeah, check out that, the punk rock movie, but then punk attitude isn't KK Parade. Isn't that the, from, uh, the screamers? Yeah, I, th- I think so. Okay. Let me look this up. <laughs> Damien's on the case. While you're looking that up, the next documentary I was going to reference here that is mentioned is The Decline of Western Civilization. Yeah. Oh, I wait. I knew this. But did you know this, Chris? That uh, that <laughs> KK did like uh, production design for like Spike Jones and Sofia Coppola's movies? I did not know that. Yeah. like, And that's what it kind of blew me away. But like including like being John Malkovich. And, oh, wow. And uh, I guess like uh, he was nominated for an Oscar for her. Wow. Oh, he did even like more recent. Yeah. Uh, wow. No, no idea. That's crazy. Holy shit. No, there you go. You've just <laughs> learned something this li- listeners with us. Yeah. I, I it doesn't surprise me entirely though, but that is cool. No, it doesn't surprise me at all. Like that band had some pretty cool aesthetics. So, but yeah. you know, anyway, sorry, Chris, go on. Decline. <laughs> Western civilization. <laughs> yeah. We're still on the same topic. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Great. I, I like that's a you know that's that's one of those ones that I think doesn't that even one scene <laughs> yeah doesn't even do a great job unfortunately of capturing all of that scene so I think that shows you how hard that is to do but it gives you a great snapshot of the bands it does cover agreed uh, then it's uh, Wheat Jam Econo about the Minutemen I've not seen that one oh it's good it's really good. But I like the Minutemen, so I think I would like that. Yeah, like even say for people that don't like the Minutemen, I think this is one of those ones that could help you understand that band a lot yeah. better. So if you're a fan, Chris, you got to see it. Yeah. Uh, Repo Man. Which, eh, you know, like, yeah, good movie. <laughs> I don't know if I'd throw that in with the way these are, but yeah. yeah it's, you know, yeah, like it's it's a great, it's a fun movie. Um, and I guess it does talk about punk in the sense that it, it, you know, it was very much of the time, but like, you know, the circle jerks are in it. It's directed by the director of Sid and Nancy. That's Julian. Is that Julian Temple as well? <laughs> I don't know. You're really on a kick tonight. With these directors. <laughs> I am definitely on a kick tonight, but anyway, 
This is all this film stuff coming back to haunt me. Um, but yeah, like I love that movie. But yeah, it's a great movie. The but I just it's like a movie. It's not a documentary about punk. Mm-hmm. Uh, the punk singer, the Kathleen Hanna doc. Yeah, is, I liked this one. Did you like that one? Yeah, I liked it a lot too. Yeah, I thought it was good. And then Afropunk is the last one. Yeah, um, which I have not seen, and you have. I don't. Is that like when did that come out? Two thousand and three. Oh, it's that old, man! I gotta Maybe see that. I thought later. it was like a newer thing. No, and it, it's good. It's definitely a, an amazing movie. Um, and, you know, and I think this is unfortunately, you know, speaks to how the problem in film and documentary. But like once again, there's a lot of bands that are left out. You know, like I think you know, Van were talking about why die, but it does, uh, a, a, you know, an amazing job of you know, obviously putting down into c- celluloid the importance of African-American contributions to American hardcore. But, uh, you know, there's still like a lot of bands that unfortunately are left out, you know, and are still, as we've mentioned, kind of horribly underappreciated. Why die pure hell? I don't think they talk about death in it. I think it was, yeah, I was just going to say, I think it was that before that discovery and I'm looking up the thing on it now and it appears that they're not. So yeah, it would lead me to believe that you're right. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff about the bad brains and stuff like that. But, they're, you know, like I think, you know, there's a lot of other bands, especially from the early wave of punk that, that weren't talked to and didn't get a chance to kind of speak. But there were bands from that early wave that were that you've never – well, that I've never seen speak about punk and stuff. And, you know, so it is a great documentary, strongly worth seeing. But I remember at the time, you know, being that was like the height of me discovering why die – <laughs> and becoming a massive fan of this band, having just traded away a chunk of my collection to get this test press. <laughs> and then they weren't mentioned in the doc. It was like, you know, I was I was kind of bummed out. And in 2016, you look back and you realize maybe you know why. They didn't know who I were or something. Like yeah, that. exactly. You know, I understand it now completely. And I think that's the thing is like, you know, you look at the Afropunk Festival and, you know, like there's certainly – that movie had an impact and you know, it was a, it was a great, it's a cool movie. It's, I think it's worth seeing still to this day. And you know, like even though there is no why die talked about, but that's why there should be like, there is a death documentary. Hopefully one day a why die documentary, Chris. Yeah, actually that would be cool. It'd be sick. It'd be so sick. Uh, we played with them one time as I brought up on the show several times. That is. Yeah. I believe you meant, I, I still can't believe that. Nor can I. <laughs> nor can i so that was the uh the beast of an email we've concluded what's the uh, what's the one about the argentinian punk scene is it umberto d what's it no what is it called this is your uh, uh i would have that in there too uh martin's documentary about a latino punk i would also think should be in there too that's a great documentary um, which talks to some amazing people in it as well that you don't see in a lot of these documentaries. The problem is when you go through some of these documentaries, you see a lot of the same names over and over again. Yeah. The other one that uh, another listener wrote in about that since we're on this topic really quick, we should throw it out there is that you weren't there, the Chicago history of Chicago, 77, 84, mm-hmm. um, which is good. Came out in 2009, but um, it's decent. Uh, obviously covers Naked Raygun very well, but it, you know, you get, uh, articles of faith and, uh, the effigy stuff like that in there too. But I remember being a little underwhelmed by that as a whole documentary, but 
Um, it's certainly interesting. So there's always, I mean, nowadays there's a ton. I don't even know them all offhand. I remember there being a huge amount of excitement for that before it came out. Yeah. I think that was the thing. The trailer was online for months and everyone was super excited by it. Um, uh, but yeah, like I, I enjoyed it as well, but like, but I know I can totally see what you're saying. Like it's, it's hard. These documentaries are really hard to do. And like, uh, I would say from a Canadian perspective, the last Pogo, especially jumps again is worth seeing if you want to kind of see. Yeah. Good point. That uh, is good. Like for Toronto and then, uh, not dead yet. The movie that, you know, inspired a festival's name, uh, is a cool documentary to kind of see a really underdocumented period in Toronto, hardcore and punk rock. Why do I not? What years of that is that? 84 to 85. Wow. I've not seen that. Or 84. Okay. I think it's like 82 to 84, 81, to 84, maybe. Cause it's the whole thing is around the idea that 1984 is coming. Um, and it's got the BFGs in it. It's got incredible youth, youth, youth footage with Brian Taylor. Nice. A young, uh, man in his Maple Leafs jersey. Uh, chronic submission <laughs> footage, direct action footage. Okay, cool. Uh, it's, yeah, like I, it, it's hard to find. I think it was made by TVO originally. And they actually, oh, wow. they made a sequel to it where they went back and caught up with a couple of the people from the original movie in present day to see what they were up to. And Steve, nice. Steve Goof was from Bunch of Fucking Goose was in that as well. And yeah, so if you can find those, you know, and I'm sure there's lots of that sort of stuff from, you know, like different places. Also the negative approach DVDs. They're not documentaries. It's just a bunch of live footage, but my yep. God, that'll teach you about hardcore. Yeah. I have the original one with the misfit stuff. They got taken out of the other ones. I know. Danzig sued them. Oh, yep. Jeez. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> try to make things work and get something, but it's all no use. So yeah, we got, Danzig's we got the- going to sue you. <laughs> we got the documentary category out of the way. I'm sure there are others that people will hit us up about and feel free. Ones we probably have not seen, let's say. Other what would be one that you'd want to see, Chris? What would be a music documentary you'd want to see? Because I've got mine. Um, hmm. That is a good question. Well, I tend to just think of geography when I'm thinking of these things. But I'm like, well, there is a Boston one that was made I've yet to see. Mm-hmm. Uh. I think it's called All Ages, right? Yeah, I haven't seen it though. But um, hmm, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, definitely, I I think with you, what I would say is I would like to see a more comprehensive, and speaking to our own self interest here, I suppose maybe not self interest, but like uh, geographic self interest. I'd like to see a better, somehow comprehensive Canadian one that does a better job of thoroughly kind of putting it all together in the Canadian context. Mm-hmm. That's what I'd like to see probably the most, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. That's a tough one. I'd love to see a documentary about UK DIY starting <laughs> with the release of the desperate bicycles first seven inch. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And just kind of like, you know, you talking about all those, uh, Lily Frigot and like all those kind of bands, like that's probably a terrible pronunciation of that, but like fuck yeah. off records and all the stuff that kind of came 
after the new way is sort of the, the DIY explosion that that record, from what I understand, kind of helped inspire. Yes. I think the other, the other, like other one, which I would like to see, and I'm not aware of one, you might know if one exists, but I don't believe so. I know of a biopic, which sort of covers that, but, uh, the Northern Irish stuff would be cool to see as well. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Like a, a good documentary on it. Cause that, that movie's cool. Yeah, but, but what if there it, are some problems? Yeah, but what is that movie called? I can't even remember what it's called anymore. It's called. Isn't it called Good Vibrations? You're right. It is. That's right. I, I wanted to say it was called Going Underground, but I'm like, it's definitely not called that. But yeah, you're right. It is Good Vibrations. It has that one awesome scene when he goes to the punk club for the first time and Rudy's <laughs> playing on stage. Yeah, and the cop comes in to harass him, and he's like, "We hate the fucking cops," and it's just like that scene's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I thought of some other stuff in that movie was like <laughs> Well, it's very yeah, it's very biopicky. It's it's got definitely cheese in it for sure. Yeah. yeah. But uh the music's very good. Yeah, music's great. You can't argue with that. Production value is really good. So you at least get that out of it. If you haven't seen it, I do recommend it. But yeah, it's certainly not <laughs> an accurate picture by any means, I don't believe. <laughs> no. I, th- I think uh I think it's like when you're watching the outcasts on stage at the end. Yeah. And you're like, wait, that's the skinhead band that shaved Harley <laughs> Flanagan's head? <laughs> yeah. It seems a lot nicer than it may have been. Yeah, I think so. Um, but yeah, that is, uh, you know, I love, I love, like, I can't, I haven't watched that show vinyl yet because I'm just waiting because I hear I'm going to love it because it's so fucking bad and there's so much wrong with it that I think I'm going to really enjoy picking that thing apart when I watch it. I've seen the first one or two and I, yeah, it's definitely, you would have, you'll have a field day with it, I think. But, um, I did learn something in the first episode though that apparently is historically accurate that I thought was bogus. What's that? It, well, I don't, you haven't seen it. Do I give it away? Well, it's just like one spoiler. I don't think well, it's just that he it's the it's the epiphany for why the the main character at least in the early episodes that I've watched uh decides to sort of make a go of his failing record label and go for like the the new thing and try to like more more or less go for punk bands or however you want to say it but he he catches the uh the dolls which I don't think they explicitly state are the New York dolls but it's certainly the New York dolls or it's supposed to be and uh and the building collapses they're like yep. playing some kind of an old whatever building. Yeah. The bill and I thought because it's really well done, the like production value of the show. So that scene is really cool, but I was like, that's gotta be bullshit. And so I actually looked it up and I was like, whoa, that was actually true. Yeah. So and I, I wasn't aware of that. I don't know if it was to the extent that the show like I mean, because the building, like, almost, I don't know. It's it's very dramatic in the show. So I just thought, uh, you know, maybe it wasn't that way, obviously, in real life, but anyway. Yeah, that was one thing I, I thought was bogus and wasn't, but there are other things I'm sure that will be. Yeah, that's uh. So spoiler alert! Sorry, guys. I've <laughs> seen it. Yeah, man, I gotta see it now, Chris. I gotta see that scene. Gotta see other, you know, what's real or fake. And then the other thing I would want to make a mu- movie about closer to home is I'd want to make a movie about uh, the Maritimes and the oh. Maritimes uh, explosion, kind of yep. post Sloan. Post Sloan, okay, okay. You're, I see what you mean. Like I thought it, you were going on with like, I was like, this would be a really weird little documentary. I thought you were talking about like stuff like Schizoid and like, 
the That'd slime and, and, and <laughs> reactors yeah, like, wow. and like it's gonna be like i would love to see that someone make that movie uh <laughs> i think it, i would be one of maybe three or four people <laughs> yeah, yeah. that would be very excited to see that movie but yeah but i think this would be like kind of interesting no it was, i agree remember it was like at one point halifax was the next seattle i i am with you on this i think it would be excellent i i think that it was a bit of uh sensational sort of thinking but yeah um it was but it, it got a lot of those bands signed you know like jail uh the inbreds uh yeah. they were Fresh both on sub pop right jail i believe definitely had one i don't the inbreds i don't remember if they did i, don't, I feel like they didn't but i, I can't recall or hardship of po- one of them definitely another one of those bands was on sub pop 100 percent. so hardship yeah. post maybe hardship post yeah, could be, but uh, but you are right. It was a thriving time and what have you, and it, and it is. It could be. I'm actually surprised that no one's really tried to do that that I'm aware of. No, when well, you, when, when you think of how long Sloan's been around, especially for for not, I don't know, Sloan are internationally known. Do we need to explain what that is to the non? Well, I think I don't think they're as internationally known as I would hope. Yeah, I think that's accurate, but I don't think like the other week we mentioned Joel Plaskett and that sort of went over some people's heads. So, but yeah, Sloan, you know, in, in rock, big rock band here, uh, for, been around for what, like well, 20, Chris, 25 years now? And former guest of the show. Oh, you're right. Yes. Chris Murphy, very yeah. early on. One of the funniest people I've ever met in my entire life. Probably the best mainstream Canadian band. Yeah, objectionably I, I, speaking. No, I, I, I think that's a fair assessment, but especially based on longevity. Yeah, yeah, like it was like you know, uh, like for, I don't know, the music that that we would like. That was the band that was always like this band rules. Agreed. Um, and the, still, uh, moment of clarity as well for what you mentioned earlier. Hardship Post did have an LP on Sub Pop. Okay. Uh, Inbreds, as far as I'm looking here, did not. Okay. No, Sarcher Post did But, like, still, that's like they signed those two bands. Sloan was on a major. Uh, uh, Super Friends were on a major, I think, at some point. Yeah, you're forgetting. Oh, no, but that's not Merit. Well, it's New Brunswick. I was thinking, like, Eric's trip. But, yeah, that's not entirely, That's not Halifax. But that was on No, but pop. you're right. That would probably be kind of like, you know, they were like the fluid to uh seattle's grunge explosion they were like you know close enough that they got sucked up in it yeah they were the melvins (laughs) Melvins. (laughs) (laughs) they were the canadian melvins yeah except i don't know if they actually put sloan together in the same way the melvins put nirvana together yes good point i meant that in a very flattering way because i love the melvins and i think yeah eric strip has that eric strip elevator has that sort of uh weight of uh influence so to speak yeah. yeah i would i would agree with that but i think you know that'd be another great documentary yeah how the how the melvins made nirvana <laughs> we got way off course either way yeah, way off course chris we're you lost take the next email because this is great this is short uh all right uh subject fu manchu send from matt g I think last week or two weeks ago you talked about fu manchu and their ssd cover a little on footnotes how could you possibly have missed their Riot Fest after show in which they cover Nothing Done with Springer on vocals? Which I have to admit, I was totally unaware of this yes. happening. Uh, Footage exists. It's on the Fu Manchu Facebook. 
it will be <laughs> linked to the Turn Out of Punk page. And uh, it is pretty much exactly what you'd expect. So was this this Riot Fest? No. Well. Might have been. It was posted September 20th of this year. So you're telling me I missed Fu Manchu at Riot you, Fest. Yeah, you were there and you missed this. Yeah. I'm way more bummed out about missing this than the Misfits. <laughs> Let me yeah. tell you that much. Yep. Wow. There you go. I could have seen the post-Virulence band. <laughs> With Springer. With Springer. <laughs> oh, well, that's, man. Oh, that's kind of a bummer. Oh, well. Uh, next email, Chris. Next email is uh, our weekly contributor, Dave Martin, mm-hmm. who sent in a really good one. He always does, but this one I, I really liked because it's it, – uh, anyway, it's in relation to Alona's Dream, which uh, is the label we mentioned that put up the Raven 7-inch from last week's episode, I believe it will be now. Um, anyway, he says, super important label in addition to the Ravens. They released a lot of other 60s garage stuff, but more importantly, they have done a lot of great punk and hardcore releases. There are two really cool Necros demo 7-inches, a stupid 7-inch, and most importantly, the Board Youth 7-inch. Uh, in brackets, the same stuff that Lost and Found did, and the Board Youth LP, which never came out and I had never heard before. Probably one of the of the great unreleased hardcore records. Uh, had either seven inch or LP come out on Touch and Go, they'd be considered top tier of that era. So yeah, Alona's Dream, great label. Every listener should check out. There you go. Yeah, and tons and tons of Chicago stuff. Like cool yeah. issues of Chicago stuff. It's a weird label. Like it's a it's a cool label, definitely. But like, it's it's you know not at all geographically focused on one scene or even one sound. Like they've got the JJ One Eighty, who changed their name to the Realtors. Like they reissued that record. Like yeah. and of course these Necros. Then last week we were talking, of course, by Ravens. Um, but then also like all this stupid stuff, and then some other British bands like. Evil Knievel uh, Rice, and uh, then also tons of Chicago stuff like Rights of the Accused, um, Savage Beliefs, Silver Abuse, Negative Element. But yeah, what a cool label. Yeah, totally. And it's funny that we stumbled. I I didn't know anything about this label, admittedly, and it's kind of funny. I was, like I would not have thought they had done a Necros record. I'll say that much. Yeah. But, uh, um, but yeah, in 2012, no less. But um, the uh, the Ravens, which we mentioned the other week, if you hadn't heard the episode, is is the was John Belushi's Garage Band from the mid 60s, and that is John Belushi, Animal House, John Belushi. Man, I'm looking at this label. There's so much good stuff on this label, Chris. <laughs> Do you have any of this stuff though? I I've got like any- some of the originals of some of this stuff, but like not these reissues and not everything. Like I got the Silver Abuse seven inch and Savage Belief stuff, and I've got. Uh, uh, the rights of the accused seven inch, but not uh, and like stupid's records, of course. But wow, I don't know these reissues. They all look so sick. They do. They all look very good. Have you heard that board youth LP he's talking about? No. Oh, well, I was trying to think. Is board youth also the one that got reissued by another label at some point, like maybe Burrito Records or something? Um, well, he says the seven inch lost and found did that they reissued, but the board youth LP said it didn't come out. So I don't know if it was one of these weird 
like sort of bootlegged things or something, but I haven't heard it. I'm just curious because I can't even. I'm trying to find it here. Is this? That's oh, no, not, I guess I'm thinking it, of this bored youth lost and found bootleg. Yeah, which is the I think he says is the seven inch. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't have. I don't think I've ever heard this LP. Oh wait, there's three versions of it. Let me see. No, they're all the same. So, but the one here he has it says it's a comp. So is it just on the comp? There's the Are You Alive comp. It must just be all contained on it. Well, they did a distribution thing with Nat Records from Japan. Huh. Who uh, you know is is a store in Japan, but they also famously put out a Charles Bronson Quill split and an Anti Flag record, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that you put that together is so <laughs> wow i did not know that <laughs> i don't think most people do that well um but yeah this board youth looks amazing it's, it seems to be this comp the 1982 are you alive 1982 um anyway very cool yeah so that was the message about that label from our good friend dave thank you again yes thank you dave and the final one, actually, we already discussed. I copied it over, and I didn't it. Work. So that's the final of the mailbag. So we off did to it. the show. We did it, Chris. It only we took us an it. hour, like always. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, though. I feel that this has become the uh, sort of the meat of the sandwich in, in and of itself, so to speak. Yeah, I guess so. I guess this show is it's like mailbag and a little bit of footnotes. <laughs> well, the the mailbag has footnotes now. That's that's the, that's the thing. That's true. We're gonna have to have another podcast where we just talk about us analyzing the mailbag on the other <laughs> podcast. Yeah, um, <laughs> it'll be all about the logistics of how to use a computer to open email and respond. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, well, on to an amazing episode. Uh, um, it's like. It's going to be uh, – there's few people that have had such a big impact on myself and and people uh, around me in music than Alison Baker and T-Crug Combo. Like, you know, like I, I – there were the band that was – I don't know. Like they were just so good. Like do you ever see them live? I never got to see them live, but I do enjoy them very much. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't – know her either i've never known her but um but yeah you've always spoken very very highly of her over the years and i've never i never knew her and like a number of people guests on your show have mentioned her so it was really cool to kind of hear her tale and then also yeah it was just i don't know i really enjoyed it It was right on i feel kind of uh a little like i missed out not having ever met this human being in toronto when they were around kind of thing yeah, no, that, well, that was the thing. Is they were only around for a brief – well, I guess they were around for a few years, but like – I don't know. Like that period that she's talking about towards the end when they had that lineup, it was a brief period. Yeah, and that's the lineup that you suggest is the quintessential teen crud lineup. Well, it's kind of hard to say because like I associate them with Mark Jarrett a lot who was the first drummer. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like – Bubby and Jamie, we don't even talk about this in the episode, but they were playing together in Countdown to Oblivion at the time, too. Yeah. Uh, so they were, you know, as a rhythm section, like, they knew how to play with each other, like, in lockstep. And so, yeah, they were they were awesome. Like, they were just, that was the lineup. The irony is that you have spoken on this very show about 
having been at least I believe it was in one one gig you were in that band, were you not? In in Countdown to Oblivion. Yeah. Yes, I was. So by by your rationale, you have been in a band with these teen crud combo folks. Yeah, like no, definitely. I I believe me that I I know I'm in I'm in the I'm in the 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 lineage. <laughs> I'm part of the story, Chris. <laughs> there you go. Part of the goddamn story. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I like it, and I think teen crud combo. You know, at that time, like you know, especially like you look at the other bands that were kind of happening at that time. Like the Swarm was awesome. But they ne- they weren't really a Toronto band. Like they all lived in Toronto, kind of, especially the second lineup. But it very much to me felt like, you know, like this cool band that had moved to Toronto type yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, and like Countdown to Oblivion was good, but how I, you know, the, the teen crud. It was before No Warning kind of figured it out too. So yep. they, they were the band. They were the band. Anyway, Chris, I could just gush like this about this band all night. But uh, I agree, man. The the vibe is through the roof of this band. I, I've always – I like this band. I even liked – of course, you've had Nick on the show previously. I loved his episode. I really like what he does. So just all works. The fact that I didn't really know anything about this woman apart from what things you've said over the years and I just thought the interview was excellent. So – I don't know, man. What uh, what do you want to get into here to start? It's a lot of good stuff. A lot of good stuff. Well, like uh, I think the I'm going to say it once again: the greatest first punk show story that's ever <laughs> been told on this show. It's very good. Uh, it was very good for so many reasons. So but... many reasons. Like <laughs> it just worked on every level. <laughs> like, yeah, agreed. Oh, uh, like that could be something that could be a scene in a movie. Totally. The fact that it wasn't like a pre-rehearsed story either is pretty incredible because, I mean, I don't know. As she's telling the story and I was thinking, okay, you know, it's for the listeners that may have not heard the story in the interview, let's say, right now. Well, if you haven't heard the episode, why would you skip to the footnotes? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Go listen to the episode. It's incredible. Uh, But I assumed it would have something to do with Flipper. But when it was like basically all the dwarfs, I was – very excited and amused. I was actually worried <laughs> when the story Me began. Too. I thought, where is this going to go? <laughs> Me too. Oh, God. But oh, God. Uh, but no, it just ended up being a really awesome story and it made me you know, like the doors even more. But yeah, it's uh, it could have gone horribly wrong. Let's say that much. Yeah, and it kind of did. It didn't go horribly, as horribly wrong as it could have. <laughs> but like – there's definitely moments when she's telling that story and she's like, they weren't creepy at all. And I'm like, Oh, it's a little creepy. (laughs) But I like that of all the people they run into first, the the fact that it's black was very amusing to me too. Like of all the people on that whole tour. Anyway, what, what person goes to their first show and has that first show first band they see like basically be their perfect band. Yeah, I agree that that was, uh, <clears throat> I thought that was very serendipitous because that to me is the kind of thing that team crud sort of mm-hmm. were it was definitely like, I wouldn't say aping a band like that, like outright, but definitely had the, the DNA of that style of band. So it, it makes sense that that was a very impactful show. The, the thing I think that was not mentioned 
because I couldn't. I'm trying to think of what year that would have been because I believe mid '90s. I'm guessing. I think it's '94 or five. Yeah, so that's pretty good. Like I'm trying to think of what record they would have been on there. Was that the first Epitaph stuff? Maybe. No, no, no. This would have been before that. This is still sub pop. So yeah, that's even crazier. So this is like you know prime dwarves era in my opinion. Yeah, uh, and I like I like all the early dwarves stuff, but the uh, for me this is like the pocket era of which I would have loved to have seen them in. But the other thing that was confusing to me is I'm pretty positive, unless it's because they're in Canada. Oh, it must have been like 93. It must have been like after Sugar Fix. Okay, but that's still amazing. Like yeah. that's really amazing uh, era of this band. Anyway, when they play, like I mean, I don't know if it's because they're in Canada and they didn't do this. I've seen them and they didn't do this, but I believe they have done it before. But like he who cannot be named or whatever definitely plays naked almost always. And was he not on that tour? Like what? Because that was not mentioned in the story, which I think was hilarious. Like I would have assumed <laughs> that beyond what yeah. you described, that the naked guy would be there. I thought that was going to be the thing. Like they they weren't aware of the doors are like, and that's where I thought the turn would be that they would like the doors would come out. <laughs> he would be naked. And they would freak out and like bust out. And then she didn't mention that, but they did take off. <laughs> they did take off. The, so I, think, I don't know if it was because they were in Canada and he wasn't pulling that move or what, but yeah, I don't I, know. He also used to play in a G string too, right? You're right. Actually. You, yeah. Yeah. You're right. So maybe it was that. But anyway, yeah. I still don't mention that's a pretty big, big moment for a 14 year old girl. <laughs> and I've also, well, I've talked to other people since too. And that pee in the pool thing was apparently at that show. I've been also told that it might've been a bucket. Um, mm. so yeah, like that, you know, but I guess, you know, as she said, like they took off running, <laughs> which is so good. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so awesome. Especially because we've all been to the opera house when it's been empty and oh, know yes. that there's very few places to hide in that cavernous room. Yeah. And few places are worse empty than that place. Oh yeah. It really, oh, it really yeah. does not play well when it's empty. Uh, not, not most places don't, but I mean, that seems especially, uh, whatever, humbling when it's empty. <laughs> oh, gosh, yes. Um, probably because there was, used to be a constant barrier. Maybe there still is, so it makes it even more weird. No, I think, um, I think they have a collapsible barrier type thing. I don't think it's there all the time, but it okay. is there sometimes. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, anyway, just a great era, <laughs> era of those bands. Well, I guess not a great era of Flipper, let's say, but I still like Flipper, so I can accept it. But the, uh, the, 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 that interview too, I would love to hear Oh, the, 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 them doing the, the Stark weather Simon interview, I think is hilarious. Someone's got to get like, she's got some gold. Some of the stuff she mentions is pretty great. That yeah. unreleased dirt bomb session too. That's like, there's some gold. Yep. Yep. No, no. That's the thing is like, it, it's also, we should just also just do this now, uh, pivoting from that. Cause none of this shit comes up in the episode. But yeah. look up Allison Baker's Discogs. Yeah. And look at some of the stuff she's been on that I think will uh, play to a level of your interests that we've never really talked about on the show before. But she, like, played guitar on, like, MERS records. <laughs> the one that surprised me, because I did look this up already in preparation, was, and again, it's what we're talking about, so it doesn't surprise me based on the story, but she has some involvement on that. Well, now it's, I guess, old enough. But in 2004, Dwarves released that 7-inch on Sympathy. Mm-hmm. She's on that. I didn't mm-hmm. know that. Yeah, that's after she moved to SF. So I guess, like, 
I guess I'm just I trying should... to see what she does on it. Um, she's just listed as one of the musicians. She must like play on it. I would say, you know, like she's just the musicians were Allison, uh, Black Tuesday. Oh yeah, yeah. She must just be the guitarist in the band at that point. Yeah, cool. But the uh, anyway, I wasn't aware she was on a door stuff. So that <laughs> it's like, of course. You look at her like you know. Here's the person from Teen Crack Combo. Um, but like m- most common labels associated with her on Discogs are Last Gang Records, which of course Dirty Ghost is on now, but yeah. then uh, Rhyme Sayers Entertainment. Yeah, which is such a – yeah. I didn't uh, – that one I didn't get either, but I believe you mentioned to me that she had a connection to that at one time. So I wasn't as surprised as I would have been normally. But Well, I was just yeah. surprised that she played on all these records. Like I wasn't – like I didn't realize that – you know, uh, she played on all these different Aesop rock records. Like they were together at that time, but still like, it's like she played on all, she's got like so many credits that I had no idea about. Yeah. I was definitely, I, I didn't like, I mean, I thought there might be a teen crud entry or her new band, but I wasn't aware yet either, but yeah, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Uh, and she played on that Kimia Dawson, uh, Captain Lou Albano song. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, I great credits. I'm just yeah, I'm a fan. I love that based on the story that she's on a, a, like a later Doors record. I just think that's very funny too, and great. Yeah, I know that would uh, be like if I somehow got on an Alice Donut record. <laughs> exactly. Have we ever talked? What was your first show, Chris? Oh my god! First like actual punk show. Well, yeah, a- I, like I'm canning Alice Donuts, so we can be pretty broad with this. No, no, but that's still within the wheelhouse. I mean, ooh, I honestly don't even know. I'd have to think. Uh, trying to think, man. I, for me, it would be like I started going to see like those sort of indie rock kind of bands. There might have been bands on it, but yeah, it wouldn't have been anything super special. Uh, when did you first see Grasshopper? Never did. Never you never saw did. Grasshopper? No, never did. Had opportunities and never just ne- never did, and I regret it very yeah. thoroughly. But I did see – like stuff I was first seeing would have been like any of that kind of indie rock stuff you're talking about. Some was sort of adjacently punk. I'm trying to think of the first – like I saw a lot of ba- – like in our area, there's a lot of like, you know, whatever, like bar punk, however you want to say it. I saw those kind of shows. I could have seen Deglo abortions a million times like everybody else in the early 90s or whatever, mid-90s. I don't know. SNFU I saw fairly early. Not for them, but for me. So like whatever, early, mid-90s. I don't know. So it would be like if you played an SNFU 7-inch. <laughs> yeah. I, it's uh, it's yeah. actually kind of like when you played an Urban Blight because the first show you ever saw was United Youth Crew, Beavs Band. <laughs> was it United Youth Crew's band or what was the other? His was the I other one. You say this stuff every week. I don't believe. I don't. I think you're confusing him. With no, he stuff. had another band. He played guitar in. He was in Shipwreck. He was in The Choice. No, there's something before it, Chris. I don't believe that was one of them. I do believe we do know who is in a band called that. But no, I, we do. Yeah, that's the Hambone one with. Uh, yeah. With uh, okay, but there was they did a split record with a band. And he was in the band that did the split with him. Mm, I'm lost here for that. I know. We got to find this. <laughs> well, you're a key. Anyway, I don't know why we're on this. Let's just keep on talking about how awesome Allison is. <laughs> okay, let's get back to Allison Baker. Less about Chris uh, being connected to Weird Beeves' other band. Yeah, I'll have to contemplate your question, though. I'm not trying to dodge it. I just legit don't know what the first – yeah, I don't know. That's a well, good I question. guess it's it's not as apropos, though, as 
Allison no, finding out not at all. years no. later that she plays on a dwarf record. Or us finding out, sorry. Um, I guess, where do you want to go, Chris? Well, we, we dealt with the story, which I think is a pretty big thing to discuss. Um, I like that uh, she mentioned the doors. Uh, most people hate the doors. I do not. Uh, but the Nirvana thing, I don't know. Where, I, I'm, I can go with a lot of stuff here. The uh, doors thing is funny, too, because like, I think that's people are coming around again to the idea that Jim Morrison might have been one of the first proto-punk type people. Well, it's discussed in what is it? We are the neutron bomb. I think yeah. they talk a lot yeah. about it, and it's also discussed again a little bit in John Doe's new book, Under the Big Black Sun, and cool. Keith Morris kind of makes reference to it in his new book a little bit. So it's definitely like an LA point of view. Yeah, yeah. But I think, like, regardless of what you feel about their their actual direct music or not, like, I think you know, it's it'd be hard to say that there weren't elements of that group that spoke to, you know, like the rebellious nature of whatever punk is or was. So I don't think it's a far stretch to kind of make that accusation. I, I'm not sure I'm terribly a big fan of Jim Morrison as a human being or whatever, but um, in, as a historical figure meaning, but like, yeah, I don't know. Like it's definitely, he has elements of what was to come. That was what, you know, made the, whatever the, the DNA of punk broadly, I would argue, but yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was a cool mention. She liked it. I, the Grateful Dead made me laugh. I like that gateway. I like the idea that someone got thoroughly into punk via a Grateful Dead gateway, essentially. Yeah, I think that's a neat trajectory. I think and it's slight. It sort of makes sense in a way, too. As much as it doesn't, it does. If that makes any sense, me saying that. Yeah, like I think I think that's the thing. Is also now we we accept the fact that Grateful Dead influenced. Uh, a lot of the punk we like, like we talked about in the episode. Yes, Black Flag obviously being the one people always seem to mention, but yeah, I'm sure there are others. Oh yeah, Meat Puppets. Um, I like. I'm sure oh, yeah. a lot of people like the Grateful Dead. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's Not, never hit me. I gotta say. Have you heard the song Cream Puff War? Not that I can recall, at least by title, but no, I did not. Why? Why do you say? Whew. That's the song Fucked Up covers on a Grateful Dead tribute record that just came out. <laughs> and that song, Chris, is like a garage that shameless rock. self-promotion that you just did there? No, believe me. This record is selling quite nicely without any mention of Fucked Up <laughs> to make people not want to buy it. Uh, it's like got like every every famous person that liked the Grateful Dead. Like Kurt Vile's doing a song with Jay Mascus on it. Oh, Grateful nice. Dead song. And like, yeah, there's like a lot of... You know, but we're on it doing the song Creep Before, but the song Creep Before is like a garage rock stomper. Oh, okay. I don't not I'm sure again if I've never really delved in, but um probably because it seems to be like a, a murky thing to get into. <laughs> and you have to go you have to sort of find it's like for me it's like a dig at a really like thorough, dirty record fair or something, and it's like I don't have the effort to go through all this to find the, the one or two great things right now. But, yeah, like uh, I've been digging and so far it's really that song. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I like the house. I like where they were geographically. I get it all, but I yeah, I just am not feeling it. But I think as a punk show, I think this is where we're supposed to be disposition wise about this group. <laughs> um yeah. But yeah, I don't know where what did I did I dodge a point here? Or did I take one? I don't even know. What do you want to talk about? I don't know. We kind of talked about the Grateful Dead. We kind of talked about the dwarves. Well, okay. We'll we'll do an easy one. We've discussed it a little bit, but I just want to stress again, because people who have not 
people who are not familiar with this internationally, certainly, but certain, maybe younger people that are not familiar with this, she mentions much music, she mentions new music, and she mentions City Limits, all three. Well, the, la- the latter two, let's say, new music and City Limits, for me, were like a huge impact as well. And you've discussed this before with me on this show, but I thought that was cool hearing someone else that was like influenced by these kind of things. And uh, I'm not sure. It's not to say that they're, because they're gone, like this doesn't exist and, you know, boohoo. But those were definitely a lot. They were really good in their day when they were going, even fairly late into the 90s, I would argue, as late as they went. Um, or new music certainly longer, but City Limits, I can't remember when that ended. Do you remember it was some, I think it was before the 2000s? Yeah, they brought it back though for a minute too. Okay. Point. But like, yeah, I think it was like before the 2000s, like into the 90s, they, they, yeah. they call yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, but you're right. Like, I think, uh, you know, all three of those things, and I would include much music into that because that's where I first saw DBS and like, that's where I first saw, uh, like I saw Iggy Pop interviewed by Henry Rollins there one time in person. Agreed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think – and it's fair to say that. I just meant for a more specialized like – Yeah. W- what we're discussing for like whatever, fine-tuned tastes. Like new music always had really interesting stuff. Even if I didn't like everything, it was always interesting, which is kind of funny too because I think a lot of the DNA of the way that program was structured and the way they covered music – um, certainly is, uh, I wouldn't say aped in a way that they're trying to rip it off, but it's certainly uh, mimicked in many ways by something like Noisy doing documentaries now the way they do them. Even if they might not be familiar, it's certainly very similar to me at least. Um, anyway, so for people that aren't familiar, that's that was a really great thing for a minute, or not a minute, whatever, however long it lasted. Yeah, like it was, and now it's definitely gone. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, but do you not do you not see what I'm saying there? Like I'm not saying that someone actually went, "Wow, the new music's really great. Let's do something like the new music." But if you look at like stuff like, and I know you know people who are responsible I, for making some of these things, but it is it, there's a very, I mean, in the sense of they were covering new music like in a way that was not only well done, but you know, production value was good, footage was good. Usually, it was something new that you didn't know or you didn't know well, and exposure was large that to me that's kind of very similar to the way the vice model of the noisy thing is as far as the video element of that yeah i like i think i think moses nimer who's the 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 person kind of one of the people behind all this stuff that we're talking about there was another guy john i wish i could remember his last name right now but he lived across the street from me that was one point too but he was kind of cut out of the picture really early on but those were like those were geniuses. Like they changed the way we look at not just music TV, but the way all TVs made, you know, like shooting into the newsroom, like shooting into the, you know, like the, the fact that every single part of much music had inputs. So you could shoot all over that building. Um, you know, like it pre foretold like reality TV shows and like, yeah, like, I, I don't know if it has, you know, as you say, like a direct influence on someone like Andy Capper, who's, in England when all this stuff is going yeah, yeah, on. Yeah. But like, you know, Vice is Canadian, you know, it's from Canada. So I'm sure like that was like an influence on, you know, the upper brass at a certain point. Yeah. Agreed. I just mean, I, I find it ironic when I see things like that, where I go, okay, you know, two decades ago, this was something that would have been hipping people, the stuff on a level like noisy is now. Mm-hmm. And sort of seeing that 
weirdly cyclical thing. I'm again by any I'm not certainly Andy. I wouldn't have expected to be aware of that. Uh, at least geographically, it wouldn't make sense. But I just think it's like there's a weird similarity there that I'm seeing, and that's that's I guess my comparison of someone now who isn't familiar with it. That's the kind of way it was covered. But imagine also having no internet. So how much more of an impact that seemed to have, at least to me. Oh yeah, you go through Bell Media. Like <clears throat> if they had pursued this stuff, they 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 kind of told where all media was right now. Like movie television, like uh, Speaker's Corner. Yeah, Speaker's uh, Corner was huge. That that whole thing, I'm kind of amazed, doesn't exist anymore. Really, it's YouTube. It's exactly what YouTube yeah. is. Like it's just yeah. like a place where any idiot can put themselves on a mass forum for people to see, you know, or like put themselves in some sort of broadcast medium. Yeah, it was, it was, it was riveting to watch too. Like yeah. weekly cut up program. You always wanted to see what would be on it. I, at least I did. I liked it as is YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. It's, it, I don't know. Like it, I being in that station, being in that building, you, you couldn't help but feel like, yeah, I don't know, taken aback by the amount of cool history that had come out of that place. But yeah. also, you couldn't help but be completely bummed out that you were watching it die. <laughs> yes, as you've discussed just watching, many times. Yes. Watching the life get <laughs> kicked right out of that thing. Yeah. <laughs> as someone from the inside, yes, Damien can yeah. attest. <laughs> I, got to, I got to watch it die from inside the beast. <laughs> the um, Okay, so what? let's get to some bands here because we're talking broadly. People don't know about this stuff. Well, I so honestly we... think we're talking – like if we get into some of these bands now that I'm looking at this list of bands, that might be – even less, more finite. <laughs> yeah, less inclusive than the conversation we just had yeah, about true. Canadian nineties TV. <laughs> so let's well, talk about think- Project Nine, uh, Sucker Punch, Hockey Teeth, Repeat Offender, Armed and Hammered, The Bunch of Fucking Goofs, Random Killing, Ulcer, and Dirty Bird. Uh, Random Killing, I know, had records released outside of Canada. Armed and Hammered might have had a couple records released outside of Canada, but I don't think any of the other ones did. VFGs. Didn't? No, I don't think they so. They were on Fringe. I would have thought they would have had. I don't think they had anyone pick it up. Like, you know, like the Double Seven Inch was just released locally. The Questionable Comp was just released locally. Uh, and then they did a bunch of tapes. And then that's it, right? Like, and then, and then the, the CD on Fringe. I thought that Carnival of Chaos must have had some kind of distribution. I would have thought, but I don't know. Gotta go to the resource. You gotta go to the resource. I'm already there. I'm already looking it up, Chris. My God, this band. This might be the most interesting band out of Toronto in in this period. Did yeah, you? so Fringe. Yeah, you're right. Seems to only be Canada. I'm amazed at this, though. Well, you know, like, who would have... Who would have uh, picked it up? Like, maybe Alternative Tentacles, but... Well, I remember, yeah, like I remember seeing, I thought it was, no, but maybe it was another band. But yeah, I thought I remember seeing something with Jello relating to Fringe on some kind of documentary. Did well, they definitely, be- they definitely put out his Dead Candy stuff up here. Okay, so that was what it was then. Yeah. Like too I just always assumed that everything was kind of on that same uh, scale or something. But um, yeah, it's crazy. I did not realize this until just now. I like. I thought for sure that Carnival of Chaos record would have been a more widely, internationally widely known thing. 
kind of surprised that it isn't. No, and Butch fucking Goose do have connections to like New York stuff. I remember when Murphy's Law played up here, Jimmy Gestapo like shouting them out on stage and talking about hanging out with them back in the day and all this kind of stuff. So they definitely have you know, like international connections, but I don't like the, the records and that just didn't come out anywhere else. That's crazy. Well, you learn something every day. I thought they were more widely known. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's also, I've got to get this first demo. <laughs> you don't have that. Eh? I don't have drunk, destroyed, demolished. No. What are the, man, you have the second one. I have a seven inch. The second thing is a double oh, seven. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I thought it was another tape. Yeah. Which is also like a really cool, interesting record. Uh, as far as like aesthetically, it's a double seven inch. It comes with like labels, like different labels. It has, you know, it's a stickered poly bag too. Um, and it's a, it's a sick double seven inch. Two weird inserts. Too, yeah. It's got like a poster insert and then some other weird insert as well. Yeah. It looks, it's a good looking record. Even that demo, it's a cool looking demo. Mm-hmm. I've never seen this. No, I've never seen that. And I also, just looking up, I have a bunch of fucking goose tape that's not on this thing, but I think it's much later. So it's like a later cassette. That, like, Is it like a pro-printed thing, or is it like another like ah, It's demo? like a you know, Toronto demo style. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Crazy. Weird. Yeah, I wasn't aware of that. That's nuts. I thought that that uh, LP for sure. Armed and Hammered, I don't... I don't... I, I'm, I would be more shocked. You think Armed and Hammered has... International records over BFGs, really? Yeah, Arm and Hammer had seven inches that came out in Chicago and another hmm. one that came out somewhere in the States. See, I don't know. My perception of that scene was that BFGs were like the bigger of all those bands, but maybe I'm off on that. I don't know. Well, they were. Like, they were like the, the elder states people of that scene, I guess. But uh, I guess it was the fact that um, Arm and Hammer kind of tore it out a little bit, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't. I don't know why, but they had they had split with a, a press logic, and they had as uh, I think the other one, Subvert and Deny, came out on another label. But they, yeah, they had a record that came out in the states, and a couple that came out in the states actually. Yeah, crazy. Either way, to pivot and to pivot indeed, because I was even amazed at how much she mentioned this band in relation to them at all, let alone the fact that they have a split with Arm and Hammer. But Sucker Punch, yeah. I had no idea about that split. Yeah, that split's awesome. It's a, and it's also like all this stuff is kind of hard to find. Well, to me, it's got to be like hard to find, but not hard to find. Like it's probably there's probably enough of it out there, but you just for whatever reason don't see it coming up. Yeah, like it's not valuable necessarily. Like it's not like it goes for a monetary amount, a huge amount of money. But at the same time, it's really fucking rare. Like the trunk seven inch to me is really fucking rare because I've never seen a copy of it. <laughs> Good point. You know what? You are onto something there because although I believe you have this totally sidebar for one second, but that DBS snowball record, at least in this area of the world, is difficult to get. Oh, that is rare as shit. Yeah, yeah. so I'm with you in this. Like those weird kind of late 80s, early 90s, early to mid 90s, seven inches of some of these things are actually like maybe not as in vogue, but they're certainly hard as hell to get. Yeah, like that. Yeah, like that first, you know, for instance, that trunk seven inch, it's yeah. never been sold on Discogs and only one person has it. <laughs> oh, I love people. that you've, you've looked that much into it. <laughs> well, you better believe it's on my wall list on there. <laughs> the good news is that when it comes up, it will be 
not as dear, so you'll just you'll you won't hesitate. Yeah, yeah. Well, part of me is like, fuck. I wish, I wish that I had done this all a little bit differently, and somehow secured myself a label, so I could be reissuing all these things now. What do you mean reissuing the like that seven inch you're saying stuff like that? Yeah, like reissuing a bunch of this stuff, right? Like like reissuing, you know, like you couldn't do a sucker punch thing, you know, at this point, like you couldn't do. There's like a bunch of records I think you could get away with doing. You know what's funny? I definitely have seen this sucker punch split with Armed and Hammered. I don't know why. I think I've only ever usually seen the the at least when I was finding it the Armed and Hammered side. I don't really remember seeing the sucker punch side, but I remember that Armed and Hammered cover. Mm-hmm. So I think I probably just passed over it, not realizing that it was a split. But the um, yeah, that's wild. To not be confused as well, there's a number of sucker punches out there for the yes, listeners. This a is lot. a Canadian one. They're the ninth entry on the resource. Um, and yeah, they, they were, I guess, seemingly short lived, at least as far as their, the releases would say, 93, 94. I don't know what years they were around in total, but um, that one LP I remember here, what is it called? Carols from the Canyon? Yeah, that one I remember even seeing ads for when it came out. Yeah, same here. I've never seen the vinyl version of that, though. No, me either. And it I- is a Canadian label that put it out. Well, it's it's their studio. It was the recording studio, I guess, right? Chemical huh. Sound was a was a studio. Yeah, but I remember I probably have like some old, you know, Canadian weekly of some kind, or maybe now, or even Exclaim. I remember promotion for this. Like I, I vividly remember the ads because this cover is very memorable to my to my mind. But it's funny too. Another one of these that a lot of people don't have, like. You know, six people have it. <laughs> yeah. It's like not, not heavily and it's mid nineties. I mean, it's not that old. It's, it's old now. Dude, what that flexi. <laughs> like how many of those do you think there are still around fun with my tongue? Flexi seven inch that they put. Yeah. Like it, two people have it. Two people want it, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I've never seen this either, but it's funny. These, this band I, I thought were neat. Like, um, this to me, this band, and for whatever bizarre reason, I don't even know if they're from Toronto. Actually, this other band, I think they are because of some of the people I know are associated from what you've had on guest wise. But this and the Saint Natras for me, like, kind of yeah. stick out my brain as being like these, whatever, like, and and like to a lesser degree, like these bands are no, but like stuff like um, Shadowy Man and uh, you know stuff like that, all that kind of like outside of punk sort of stuff but it's more or less punk you know what I mean? so mm-hmm. these kind of bands of that sort of era although again shouty men are a much more whatever um big deal but this band is interesting and I, I like that she mentioned them at a fair length and uh that lp i have not heard in a long long time and i don't even remember what like the song off it would have been or what they were getting played either video or radio but I'd like to listen to that again just to go over it. I don't know how it sounds. I can't remember. You don't happen to own this, do you? No, I, 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 I had the CD at some point, but not for a while. Um, but, you, God, do I want to have this on vinyl. Yeah. A cool well, record to have. have. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, we got to go to talk about Random Killing now. For sure. That was a, I, that was a band um, that I... Uh, saw fairly early on i saw them in the mid 90s as well but 
Uh, definitely like I'd have to go have to look up the resource. They had a one record I really enjoyed, but what uh, what was your thing about them? Well, I think they're like you know they were on a major label at one point. They yeah. put out tons of records on Raw Energy, which is kind of the epifat label of Canada, <laughs> or certainly in this area, I should say. Uh, yeah. But they also were like yeah, like a killer hardcore band in the mid eighties too. Um, and like, a, you know, wh- I've talked about going to that Rivoli show in this episode with Allison. Uh, yeah. I saw their, I believe it was bass player, smash his bass in a drunken rage at that show on stage. Um, huh. And then pick up all the pieces and be really upset about it. Um, it was yeah, a, an unbelievably weird show. But this band is, you know, one of those bands that it's kind of forgotten about. Like, you know, like people don't really talk about them in the way that you'd hope they would. I agree. I, I, that to me, though, this is the way it was characterized when she, you, I can't remember how the question was posed or how she was framing the intro to like what becomes of her performing the shuttlecock, stuff like that, but where she describes the, I have it even written down here. I wrote it down as, uh, one kind of punk and a kind of in that like mindset. I think a lot of these bands we're going over right now, like Armitage, BFGs, them, Ulcer, Dirty Bird. That's like repeat offender. It's like its own world mm-hmm. and so i think that maybe that's part of the reason why but i'm with you in the sense that this band definitely seemed to have pretty wide reach for a minute at least you know as popular as a band like this could be in that era um but yeah because like i remember this welcome record that song big rock star i remember very vividly um but you said that, what was the major uh Black? they were on a and m oh it must have been a yeah but anyway, this, reissued. This, you know that 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 like greatest hits package that came out. Ah, uh, okay. It was on A and M in Canada. But I even thought, yeah, but this black man. Anyway, I have the welcome and thoughts of aggression. I have which are those. I guess two. it's on Ronner G A and M, so it's just distributed. Sorry, by A and M. Yeah, but these records, I remember. I mean, again, I haven't listened to them in a good long while, but I remember liking Welcome and Thoughts of Aggression. I like too, but yeah, that Welcome record from '92, I thought was decent. Um... Yeah, I don't know. I haven't heard these singles, though, the 80s, like the mid to late 80s singles. I'm wondering if that's better stuff. Do you have those? Yeah, Take Our Flag is sick. It's um, got a cool cover on it. Yeah, it's it's awesome, and, and the singles are great. Uh, the single's great, and then uh, I, I think I have that 12-inch, too, This Whole World, which is also really good. Um, but I think it's the, for me, it's the 7-inch. And also, they're a band that shows up on a lot of interesting compilations. Yeah. Like I don't, I'm assuming this band probably toured more. No, like they got, I don't know how well they're known outside of Canada. I don't know, but well, that's the thing, right? Like they're on comps all over the world. Like they're on, um, uh, new wave records, had them on a compilation, double a records, put them on a compilation, uh, out of Germany, Panks records out of France, put them on a compilation and stuff. So they have like, some, I guess, international profile. Oh, they're also world words of warning from Bristol. Put them on a compilation too. Hmm. There you go. Yeah. But yeah, cool band. I'm with you in the sense that, uh, one of these groups that seems to be lost to time a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think again, I think part of that, at least from my, whatever, seeing them was that they were more associated with these, this kind of specific scene from my, um, perhaps naive perspective, but, uh, I definitely saw them a couple times. The last time I remember seeing them live was, uh, what, whatever year empires, uh, 
propaganda empire's ashes with whatever 2001 that came out yeah yeah i think they opened the opera house show if i'm not mistaken random killing yeah it was something wild because i remember seeing them and being like wow this is like a crazy but uh we the meet we know some mutual people i think that put on the show and maybe they put them on the show intentionally but not to say they shouldn't have been on it but i just mean it was sort of on you know it wasn't characteristic of that at the time it could have been you know another group more like anyway whatever that but, could um, have been propaganda too cuz those guys you know definitely you're right, answer true. that stuff you i would are, imagine yeah. yeah could have been a little little of both but i just remember seeing them last there and they were always you know decent enough to watch but yeah i never um i haven't seen them since i don't really know if they're active at all or still even playing here and there but yeah interesting group this this to me i'm more interested in your take on this because you've always lived in the city and this is kind of this bizarre world of like Toronto having this sort of invisible wall sometimes when it comes to like how some of these bands don't really intermingle. Yeah. Like I, I wouldn't say that they weren't intermingling. Cause I think that was the thing. Like this, I saw random killing. They were on raw energy. So I would see him with like trigger happy and five knuckle chuckle and stuff. Okay. Yeah. But, but I see, I, I even think all that though is kind of in its own little spot too, where it doesn't, it didn't intermingle as much. Maybe it's just the time period too. I'm, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying. Like, well, that's the thing about Tinker Combo. They're the first band, like other than the Swarm. But once again, I've kind of established I don't really consider them part of it. They they got out of Canada, like they that had a record come out in America by like a cool yeah. American label, like at the height of their their thing. Like none of those Ronergy bands ever signed to one of those big U.S. pop punk labels. Like I remember. Five Uncle Chuckle was talking to Hopeless, uh, and then there was later conversations. Apparently, Dillinger Four was going to help Maryland's Vitamins maybe get on Hopeless or something. Um, but that, as for like that, never happened, you know. But Tinkra did that for what they were trying to do. Obviously, it's not like Hopeless or Fat or Epitaph, but like Black Lung was kind of like their dream place to be. Well, yeah, and it's. The the other bizarre thing about this is that I think that they were – you were talking about how they were sort of – it's not the right word to say industry darlings because they weren't, you know, whatever in the industry. But they were like uh, a coveted band for a moment mm-hmm. uh, that didn't end up making that transition to whatever the industry proper, if you will. But um, yeah, it's kind of bizarre to me that this group – because I would also – I think Teen Crub has been represented – decently especially looking at that um like that lost recording or whatever that deranged put out uh in 2005 like when you look at that it makes sense okay that they're acknowledged but and i think at the time brutal nights were a fairly known group at the time which i suppose to a degree helped um whatever have that come out but they're another band i think it's a little lost and and not like you give them appropriate amount of credit and I really like them too, but I think there are a lot of people that aren't overly aware of this band either. And oh, absolutely. Little, yeah, I agree. It's a little uh, saddening to me too, because I think they were, they were, they, in contrast to what we're talking about, about like making that transition and like getting onto say an American label or an en vogue American label or something like that or touring. She says they didn't tour much, but I still think they seem to have done enough like i i couldn't believe that she had all these connections with like she's talking about zeke and like even the dwarves or like black lung like you're saying things like this 
Like that's a big deal for a group I wouldn't have assumed played out of the city hardly ever. You know what I mean? I wouldn't have thought that people knew about this band at all. I think as though they were like reaching out to these bands and going to see these bands yeah. because it was True. like they weren't – there's no one doing this kind of thing. And it's funny because like this – you know, this is part of the garage rock scene that eventually would help birth the White Stripes in a weird way and yep. began a whole other different thing. Yep. But at the time, it it was like no one liked – like she she talked about it, That's why they played the hardcore scene because no one really liked the garage rock and roll scene that was younger. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting too when she was describing the energy and that she felt the energy suited more with that even though they were kind of not a part of the scene or whatever. Um, I, I think that's accurate but – yeah, it's just it's bizarre because I think this band was ahead of their curve too big time. Mm-hmm. Like I think, I think they certainly were more like a band like Zeke or something like that, or even the Dwarves to a degree. But definitely, um, if you look like whatever, because they have two seven inches, right? No, it's just the one. Oh, it is just the one. I thought they had two. Why am I? Who am I confusing with? Anyway, uh, they, well, the LP looks the exact same. No, I know the LP. Yeah, the LP, by the way, is, and I've said it on the show before, is the best title ever. But, um, <laughs> and, uh, suck, even the seven. I, and I told you what the alternate title was, right? We talked about that on the show. If you did, I can't remember what is it, or was it? It's like music, 15 foot <laughs> radius. That's right. <laughs> as soon as you say it, I remember it every time and yeah. I forget it. But, but I like that I relive. It's like the first experience hearing it again and again. It makes me laugh the same every time. Um, but awesome. yeah, Nick, Nick, I'm assuming Nick titled that or whatever. He's very clever. But um, yeah, I don't know. Great band. I just really like this group. I love that you love this group. And I love that you basically – here's what I will say. In this interview, the one thing that was apparently clear to me, whether or not you acknowledge it on a conscious level or anybody in your band acknowledges this on a conscious level this band for me there's no question is wholeheartedly responsible more so than even you know the warning or something like that for your or at least a time anyway that fucked up was rather this is where it yeah wrong. oh absolutely like, the amount she was talking about this stuff I, I was like yeah this is definitely it and i i didn't think it was that yeah I thought, you know, obviously I'd heard things like the Deadly Snakes thing before in passing you've mentioned, but like, to the point, she was kind of things like that era, everything kind of being that way. I'm like, oh, this is definitely like I could just imagine a young you seeing this band <laughs> and just waiting to have a problem with another band. <laughs> I think it was. Well, I think it was that yeah. it was just every, the way they carry themselves as a band, like just being so assured of. Not that you were like in the best band in the world, but that your place in this world with this band was assured. And, and that was, you know, really inspiring. Like, I think like everything about this band, like this is the band that Mike still kind of will like admit was incredible from fucked up, you know, and Jonah did that interview recently where he talked about his top uh, five punk seven inches from Toronto and had Teen Crud number one, I think. If I remember correctly, yeah, I know he's, they're in there. I can't remember what which uh, order, but yeah, definitely he shouts. Yeah, like he shouts them out, and like and and also I think Martin Farkas and. Sorry, go on. Yeah, no worries. No, it just cut up for a sec. Um, 
I think, though, yeah, I think that's, anyway, we're just gushing about Team Crud. They rule the records rule, the LP, whatever, the reissue, whatever you want to say. It's not really a reissue, yeah. but the lost recording or whatever is excellent. Seven inches excellent. Yeah. Vibe of this band is th- through the roof. And even the records look great. Um, that rhinestone thing's excellent. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's fucking incredible. And and all hand done. So, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. What do you want to talk about next? Like, I kind of want to you talk take about it. Yeah, Bubby. Take one. Yep. Ryan. Okay. Uh, oh, in Bowling for Columbine. <laughs> yes. And did you know that? Did you know him? I never knew him. I've only known of him in the bands that he's been in, but I don't know. I don't know him at all. That part of the movie has always been something that has intrigued me greatly, though. For people who don't know, yes. so you should probably explain this. So if you see the movie Bowling for Columbine, the famous Michael Moore movie Bowling for Columbine, there's a part where he comes up to Toronto uh, and uh, tries to paint a picture of Toronto being the ideal – or Canada – I, I think by extension being this ideal place because we have such strict gun control laws. Um, yeah. And one, so he interviews a bunch of people and he interviews <laughs> Bubby, uh, Ryan, uh, a good friend, like a guy that I love to this day deeply who played in like, you know, Canto to Oblivion and played in Teen Craig Combo and, a lot of other cool bands too. Our our war. Our war. Exactly. I forgot about that for a second. Yeah. But our war. Exactly. Uh, he told Michael Moore that he doesn't even lock his door in Canada. <laughs> yes. Which even when I saw it at the time, I thought that was, and I, I didn't know him at the time. I just thought that claim was interesting because I thought, well, everyone locks their doors in my city. Yeah. I think it. he locks his door. I think he, he, we, I remember asking him about it back then. He's like, of course I lock my door. I don't know. It just <laughs> got caught up. <laughs> yeah. It's very interesting because it's, it serves to try and say that, you know, like, yeah, Canada is this ultra safe place and whatever. And I don't know. I, it's not that I don't think it's perhaps more safe, you know, it's Toronto's a, I don't know, I can't speak to Toronto, but I just, yeah, that was not my experience, it was funny to see. I'm just wondering, because you knew this person in that era, like, was that something that they were ridiculed about? Oh, God, yeah, mercilessly. Because <laughs> I've always yeah. found that bizarre, yeah. No, so do I, and I think, I think so did he. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> like, now that I've been in more media situations where you're being interviewed. I don't think I had been in any by that point at all. Um, I now know that, you know, over the course of an hour of talking, you're going to say some dumb shit. Anyone who's been listening to me so far on this podcast is acutely aware of that now, uh, as we head close to two hours. Um, but that's, that's the unfortunate, uh, I guess, uh, reality of being in a movie with Michael Moore. He's yes. going to pick that shitty take, rest assured. <laughs> yeah, true. And or the take that can can uh, best, whatever, fit the narrative of the movie he's trying to make, as any documentarian tries to do, to be fair. But yeah, especially so for that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I've always, and I've always thought that was neat that like, uh, that again, back to this like, just someone that's a punker like in a movie like that and, and like it's a cool little footnote to mention that because I always forget like when it comes up I'm like oh yeah I remember and again I don't know him but I remember that part vividly and you know anyway yeah interesting uh interesting note 
Yeah, that's going to haunt him. That's going to haunt him like <laughs> X-Head's head haunts him and civilization and <laughs> yeah that's i like that part though you want me to take another one here or you want to roll on that one no why don't we take why don't we take uh one shake one more and then we'll, we'll call it all right man uh well you're putting a big one on for me there's a lot to talk about here so let's okay first of all if we don't talk about this i just want to mention again i think that's amazing that she has an unheard dirt bomb ciut session yep it's I not going to be unheard for too long, I imagine, if, if Ben gets his hands on it. I could see that coming out. Yeah. But yeah, that's so cool. I just love – like this is the kind of stuff that gets unearthed on the show that I'm really interested in. Like she said a few things. Uh, I guess let's talk about the Teen Crowd combo tape for a second too, the mm-hmm. one that you were not aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, I've – well, of course I've never seen it. If you're not aware of it, I'm certainly not aware of it. But So are you – is this like a public tape you think you could get or is this something that – I don't know. Like I've never seen a cover for it or anything. So I I don't even know they mass produced them. Yeah, good point. It could have just been like a tape session they handed around and yeah. stuff like – tapes to me are – especially like tapes in, in that era of Toronto are, are really fascinating because, you know, they were just so disposable. Like the same with tapes everywhere but like – not like a record or a CD, which you hold on to, but a tape was just something you kind of like lost the the in, inner card for, or misplaced the tape, or you know got destroyed and chewed up. So yeah, anytime I find old tapes, I'm always trying to pick them up. Yeah, or just like did, did the classic move of recording over. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, I've never seen it either. I'm curious about that. If there's anybody out there that listens, certainly local, hit us up. More specifically, hit Damien up because he wants yes. one big time. <laughs> yeah, hit me up. Hit me up. Uh, reasonable, reasonable offers, please. <laughs> I would like to just see a picture regardless. So if anyone has it or is aware of this, that would still be cool to see. But, yeah, I, I wasn't aware of that. And I was amazed that when something comes up that you don't know in relation to a band like this, I'm always amazed. Um but yeah, so I like those things. Let's. What, what would be a good story here? Uh, band wise, I like the, the connection with Zeke. You guys tour with Anti Flag, right? When you were with Alexis, or no? No, I never did. I okay. think they did for a minute, but I was not around. I guess that that's an interesting point. The amount that she talked about Anti Flag, it's like that band. Like it's crazy to think that they were the band they were then. Because now I couldn't even envision it based on sort of how large that band is or whatever. Like, it just doesn't seem like it's the same band at all. Well, yeah, it was just, it was even before number two joined the band, Chris Two. So it was just like, well, like when I first saw him, it was Pat and Justin and then some hardcore kid playing bass, uh, like some random guy. It was after uh, Andy Flagg had left the band for whatever reason. So, but he had been on all the recordings, right? Like, yeah, he had been on like the, and I, I don't even know where we first, first heard them. Maybe it was just at that show and we saw them play with DBS and I bought the demo tape and on the demo tape, they covered that's when I reached for my revolver and I bought their first seven inch, which had been out at that point. And yeah, they were like the shit. Like, I love that band so much. And then Jamie joined that band. And it was like even crazier. And I remember they took Ewan out on Ewan's first tour and, you know, with Down by Law and stuff like that. So, yeah, they were like, 
Yeah, the, well, they've had such a long career. Yeah, it's crazy to think that that band is as old as they are. I mean, it's like demos from 92 onward. Like, I wouldn't have, I don't know. Like, I, I came into them around the point where that, I guess it was their first LP, that Die for the Government LP. Mm-hmm. That's the one I was most familiar with, which, yeah, New Red Archives put out. That's what, that's how I heard of it. I remember seeing, I think, the ads in MRR at the time. Maybe they were even reviewed fondly in it. But, uh, I think they I were. The- they were like a toast band for Max and Rock and Roll. Maybe up until that New Red Archives record came out. Yeah. But e- either way, I remember that LP, and I like that LP, to be fair. I haven't heard it in a while, but... Uh, certainly at the time, and of course the infamous DBS split, which we've discussed and both own, I think, on this show. Um, but yeah, anyway, ju- I just find the trajectory very interesting. The idea that again they shared a member <laughs> with a member of uh, Teen Crud Combo and uh, uh, Countdown to Oblivion, and I don't—it's just insane. I—I—I I, I always find it. I always. I'm amazed by how some bands like this get as popular as they get is what I'm trying to sort of get at here because I would have never expected when I got into this band at that time for them to be a popular band that was playing festivals in like, you know, the year two thousands or whatever just wouldn't have crossed my mind. Yeah. Yeah. I know you're right. Like I, I think, uh, you know, they're one of those bands that, uh, you know, like I, it's weird. Cause like they were, you know, everything about them was so anti-commercial. They would be the band that would kind of find like a commercial success. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they've got like tons of stuff. Oh my God. Yeah. I try to think which one I have. I think I have the 17 song demo, but maybe only the 11 song demo, Chris. (laughs) What about these other six songs, man? They have three or four, arguably four, rotate, could be considered a demo, maybe two. Yeah. That's wild. It's crazy, like, when you look through it, though, and they had all those songs. Whoa, Orgasm Addict. Whoa, what are they? Is there all? Oh, no, Betty Sue is dead, Kill the Rich. They do a bunch of covers on this one, rotate. Yeah. They do a Mission of Burma cover. Yeah, that's what I was saying. That's the first time I heard. uh, Well, I don't know if I heard Moby's cover first, probably. And then I heard their cover of it. And I was like, man, this band, who knew? <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. So that, I don't know if that's the point you want to end on or you want to take another one. But Well, there's also a – and we'd have to get Dave Martin to correct me on this. But I think it's the pleasure – maybe it's not the pleasure leftist. But uh, Justin Sane played in like another band prior to Anti-Flag that's sick. It's got a song on a comp that's like unbelievable apparently. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know that one offhand. Maybe we'll have someone write in, yeah, to clarify that. Mm-hmm. But uh, Dave probably would be the expert on that. Our uh, Pittsburgh correspondent, let's say. <laughs> yes. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I what don't a weird say. label AF Records is, by the way, too. <laughs> I haven't really looked in. I remember the earliest stuff, I remember that they were releasing stuff on their own. That's the only reason I remember it. But what have they done? Like, what's the... Uh, well, they did all this stuff for Anti-Flag on their own, right? But then they also put out records by the Methadones, which Oh, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which Screeching was, Weasel, yeah. Yeah, and well, it's got... Dan Vapid's thing, yeah. Yeah, it's Dan Vapid's band. And it's, they also put out, though, the one that I thought was really weird is they put out a Darkest Hour record. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is bizarre. 
Inhuman. They've put out a lot of record. Holy, it's been a lot. They put out the New York Inhuman band's record. Crazy. Yeah. But uh, speaking of the Methadones, that is a band I've seen and that Alexis did play with. Was that at the Opera House? It was not. It was in Chicago. Okay. It was great. I saw them at the Opera House one time. At which point you have uh, the interview coming up that you're supposed to do. We will go into that story, I suppose. It's no real story, but it's just a cool little anecdote. Yeah, we'll get into that in a, a future episode. Yep. Not with Dan Vapid, so anyone who's thinking that's what we're hinting at. <laughs> no, I hope. No. I would hope, but it's not. Um, but yeah, but uh, yeah, crazy label. I don't know. What do you want to touch on here? You got anything left for the uh, the points? I kind of. What, what about junk records? That point that came over that. Yeah, was that was crazy to find that out. I had no idea about that connection at all. Like uh, that there was a uh, a high racks junk records connection. But what? Because she said that this person offered them a deal or whatever. Was that the idea? I can't remember. I think the... it was like more, you know, into maybe signing them, but. Uh, I think that was the thing is that, like there was never they were never at that level uh, where uh, Caton DePena Pina wanted to sign him, but uh, I had no idea he owned Junk Records. I wasn't aware of that either. They've done. A, I like this. This is like a, yeah, one of those labels that's up my alley. Oh yeah, it's an amazing label and cool little a uh, lot of cool little like seven inch releases stuff like that this is the things i worry about that don't exist in the world anymore <laughs> anyway i hope yeah. they do more than more than i think they do but uh anyway no unfortunately that's like one of the things is uh you know well i guess we found out about a cool little label mind you it only does reissues yeah that is a, i'm gonna start looking for those records for sure now but the, about. the dragons is pre on uh, back to junk records sorry the dragons of course is pre the bronx um, oh, okay. I never knew that connection. Yeah, cool. Ken from the Dragons plays in the Bronx and is guitarist in the Bronx. And that band, the Dragons, are sick. Cool. Zeke, the Humpers, of course. Yeah. Uh, Manic Hispanic did a record on Junk Records. Did they really? Where am I missing that? I never seen that. Uh, Mommy's Little Cholo, and I Don't Care About You. <laughs> Their oh, shows are apparently like some of the gnarliest shows to go to you've mentioned yeah but classic manic hispanic classic <laughs> i actually really like that band to be fair oh so do yeah. i yeah like, i really do i like the cadillac trams a lot too so i was i'm full on into this band uh i gotta admit cadillac tramps are a band that i've only ever heard on a couple comps oh man really dig that band it's all right saying well, I don't know if you got to go deep, but that LP, it's all right. It's just such a good record from 94. Great LP. But uh, cool. I just like their vibe. So Manic Hispanic, I got into via that group, like hearing about whatever, the connection to to the other. If we're going through bands on this label that I like the vibe of, the Humpers. Yeah, I like the Humpers. I love the Humpers. I only have, sadly, though, that Epitaph LP which has a killer song on it. Oh, no, it's cool. Like, I'm all right with it. But, yeah, it's probably not the best representation of what that band was or is, certainly. Yeah, their first two records came out originally on a Cro- Croatian label. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that here. Wow. Yeah. 1992. When did that the Epitaph one? Yeah, Live Forever Die Trying in 96. That's the only one I have. Um, 
But I haven't heard these sympathy LPs. I got to listen to these. They're amazing. They're yeah? super cool. awesome. Yeah. They also started as another band called the Suicide Kings. Ah. Um, that is also great too. Cool. Wow. They have a lot of, yeah. Yeah. Cool band, but I'm with you there, but I, I sadly don't own enough by this band at all. Yeah. But yeah. No, they're definitely a band that, uh, you know, once again, I don't really know that much about it as well, but, uh, what I do know, I do like. Yeah, for sure. And also the electric Frankenstein too, put out a record on junk records and uh, several records on junk records and that band. One day, Chris, one day we'll go through this, this discography on the show. <laughs> junk or electric Frankenstein? Electric Frankenstein. <laughs> 91 releases. Holy, yes, I'm noticing that now. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a bunch of singles. Um, and the thing is, this band is a, is a great band. Actually, this is a band that we should have talked about in a multiple lead singer conversation. Because this is a band that has several singers over its various times and like singers come back after leaving <laughs> and they get the same singer again. But, and they've had some incredibly cool people as singers at different times and as band members too. Like, you know, like, uh, Steve Miller was the singer for a while. What do you mean? Which like, Steve? Oh no, no. Steve Miller's the guitar. There's the, the dude from, uh, Adrenalo D sang for a while or something. Oh, Okay. Oh god, now I can't remember. Wow, they have they have a ton. <laughs> they've done they've actually have the trajectory of bands I want to be releasing on all these different labels nailed. Because mm-hmm. I'm just looking through, I'm like, yeah, they have sympathy, they have sub pop, they got even they have TKO on there, they got they're all over the place. Oh, they got everything. Victory. Yeah, Victory on there. That's where I uh, sadly I know the most from seeing their name, but I've never gotten into this group, but they're definitely what little I've heard them, I, I I didn't have an issue with them. Oh, I love them. But yeah, man, they have, man, they have a lot of stuff. They have this one they, single. God, now I'm gonna have to find this fucking single. Uh, that it might be one of my favorite punk singles of the uh, of the early 2000s. Of the aughts, yeah, yeah. I think it's out on the streets or something. But it's a it's a killer song. You have to be. Uh, you have to play it for me next time I'm by. I will. I definitely will, Chris. Split with the helicopters in 98. I might have this. No, I don't. But I do remember seeing this cover. I guess this is all part of that same scene that we're talking about when we talk about, you know, Tinker Combo. Yeah, I think I think that's well said. I, I just, it's, it's crazy because this band has so many releases and they've been around clearly for, you know, a good while. It's just this whole thing. I don't know what this turned into like did this die or did it turn into the i don't know what you'd ever say is like because i don't think this is this kind of band but i I, imagery wise and and what the scene i think is for this kind of stuff i think is stuff like uh like some hellcat bands would be or something like it's just like a weird it morphed into a weird thing i think well i guess it also kind of got taken over by the scandinavian explosion that happened with like helicopters and yeah and and stuff like that like yeah and then the garage rock thing was the other side of it that kind of took off on its own yeah i think you nailed it there that's that's part of it i was sort of thinking that it like some of the more surfy rockabilly elements of these things 
made that scene like go into hyperdrive, and so you have those kind of bands now, which to me aren't quite like these bands. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, Sound-wise, like sonic, sonically speaking, there's an aesthetic that's very similar, but sonically speaking, I think there's a difference. But anyway. The record I was thinking of is Up From The Streets, which is just killer, and it's from 98. Pocket pocket era there. Pocket era. I tell you, just a 98 witness, Chris. Up From The Streets. Yeah, I don't – Cold Front Records. I don't – I've never seen this single. Um, I bought it the show because they played Toronto on that on that tour. Um, yeah. And I man, I totally forgot that I went to the show now, but it's all coming back to me. I went with this friend of mine uh, who's now passed away, but uh, I bought that single at that show. And God, I don't know, like it, and that they're this band that, of course, has been through all these different periods, but and that was just after Rick L. Rick who famously sang in F word and all these classic LA punk bands had been singing for him, but he had just, I think passed away or left the band and they had Steve Miller taking vocals again, but Oh, great, great, great single. Cool. Never got to see them and, uh, don't really know a lot of the records, but yeah, always a band I found interesting. They have a lot of, a lot of great, like I said, done, done a little cameo and a lot of labels that I really enjoy. So that part of it is, uh, even estrus, wow, yeah, they've just got tons of them nailed down. But yeah, cool, awesome. Well, is that, is that it, Chris? I don't know. It's a, it's up to you. It's a, if you want to call it. People aren't tired of us talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's two hours. We've been on this thing for two hours and eight minutes at this point. So <laughs> to be fair, if any episode warranted it, it was this one. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. I don't know. I think we could do more, but I think we're going to have. Hopefully Jamie Towns on in the future or Allison back for a part two at very least and stuff. So we will we will find more ways to talk about T Greg combo, rest assured. Yes. Um but anyway, thank you everyone for listening. Uh if they want to get in touch with us, Chris, how do they do that? Uh turned out a punk footnotes at gmail.com. And if you would like to get in touch with me, you can hit me up on various forms of social media at Lefford Damien. Uh, please subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes if you enjoy it. Uh, if you smoke weed, check out the new podcast, Oil and Flowers. If you enjoy wrestling, check out the new episode of Clobbering Time. And uh, if you enjoy punk conversation, get ready, because next week on the show, it's the lost episode with Lance Bangs. Nice. Yep. Finally resurrecting it and going to release it unto the world. But Lance is one of those people that is probably the only person on earth that is a direct connection between REM, Odd Future, Nirvana, <laughs> uh, Jackass. Like it is amazing the worlds this gentleman touches, but he is also. One of the coolest, one of my favorite people to see. And yeah, it's, it's a good episode. Certainly for all the bands I mentioned, the music he's into, you know, not that he's not into that stuff as well, but certainly is, is very different too that he talks about, like the shows he liked and going to stuff. It's a good episode, yeah, cool. Chris. I think you're going to like it. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm anticipating. All right. Well, that's it, everyone. So until next week, uh, oh yeah, facebook.com. Go to facebook.com, uh, turned out a punk's page on there, like it. Uh, and yeah, that's it. Rate and review and subscribe to this thing though. <laughs>
Thank you very, very much. Tell your friends. See you next week.